We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2022 John Deere Classic. DraftKings picks, final bets, viewer chat, and the weather, the ownership, the one and done. We got it all here for you. Wrapped up today, if you are watching live, got to be subbed to Mayo Media Network to ask yourself the question that will be coming later on in the show after we wrap up our entire spiel here. Normally, Tyler Tambellini is in studio with me. However, he is on vacation, meaning Ben Raza from... Stochastic.com is on the line. What's going on, buddy? What's up, man? Yeah, don't worry. Same egregious takes from me. We did get a new name. Very exciting. Happy to be here. A little live. I asked you before the show, is, do we just like ban people the whole time? I have not been on the show, so I'm excited to see how it works. This is now replaced like as you and I and you know, a rotation through of guests would always do the Tuesday DraftKings yep. show. Felt like this is just people seem to gravitate towards this show because uh, maybe it was just me and Tambo in the studio together going back and forth. But it just feels like we've had more time because we I do the betting show so early in the week that you know now I actually have like an extra two days to do some actual research. Not that I do it, but you know, you know, theoretically I in have theory. time to do the. In theory, I have time to do more research and just we're closer to everything. I, I think that's very helpful. I hear you definitely. You know even. With me, uh, a lot of things it takes till Wednesday to get some of this stuff crystallized in the betting market and even the DFS side. So I'm very excited to talk all things uh, PGA and, and any type of golf. Why not? Reminder to everyone out there to smash the like button to the episode. Again, sub to Mayo Media Network so you can ask your questions or just 
sub to it, released a good show yesterday uh, with Anthony Amico from Establish the Run talking about difficult offenses to project this football season. Tomorrow, Mike Leone is going to be on the show as we bicker about wide receivers for a bit. We got Sealy next week. We got a cussed corner with a very special guest coming up next week as well. It's not Jeff and it's not Cam. It's someone else from the universe that you know who will be the third on Cuss Corner. But the Listener's League is still not full. We should fill that up. I think there's like 500 spots left. I get that people aren't like super jazzed about the John Deere Classic with everything that's going on. But as you mentioned, Ben, it's actually for you and I and maybe some people like us out there, pretty good week for sports. Oh, real good week for sports. You got multiple golf tournaments. You got Wimbledon. You got a great UFC card. I'm I'm loving this. Uh, getting ready for college football, little little league World Series, little which is league, the easiest whoa. cash. Is that true? That's, that, that that's like easy to bet on. Easy, easiest sport to bet on, uh, possibly. Yeah, no, that that actually is. I don't even know what else I would say. That it doesn't get easier than the little league World Series. All right. Well, let me run through bets that are sure to cost you money this week in terms of the negative, because I I'd like to hit a winner, but at the John Deere. I'm just, listen, you can play a very simple strategy and be like, hey, my three bets this week are Webb, you can get Hadwin boosted up to like 20 if you want to, and like the Gala at 25. I would, if those want to be your three bets and that's all the money you put into golf this week, that's probably better than what I'm doing. But that's not what I'm doing. I cashed out my Bezaden out 33 to 1. Uh, for full price because I saw a boost up to 50. So I got Cbez at 50, John uh-huh, 66 with five places, Adam Shank 75 with five places, Steven Yagabombs 110 with five places, our boy Rathouse on the bag for Yagabombs this week. Uh, Chris Goderup 125 to one with the five places, Sam Ryder, maybe he can make an eagle every second shot, that would be nice, 160 to one with five places, and Smelly, Kelly, Kraft, 200 to 1 with five places. I wrote him up in my article this week, and he will be in the newsletter. Sub to the newsletter, by the way. That's free to join down in the description. I have a cool section this week. I don't know if it's cool. It's about proximity and putting. So how cool could it really be? But different trends that have emerged at John Deere over time and who fits those profiles. Spoiler, Hank Lebiota is actually the guy who fits it the best of anyone coming into form. Live Tour bets. I got Bryson at 16 and Big Bomb and Henny. Duplius at 33 to 1. The Irish Open. The Polish Giraffe, Ben, Adrian Moronk, 38 to 1, and our guy, Min Woo! Lee, 38 to 1. I took Cbez as my one and done. Jeff took Webb, probably pretty smart. And the Todd Father goes to Tim Andercus this week. I hope you didn't like the Todd Father before this. No, I didn't. So that's good news for me. Yeah, and I asked you before the show, but I want to get it out there to give you the good aura. You also parlayed some of them up. You went for the for the triple threat winner in each tour. I, I went for the double and triple, so not not a super high investment because you don't need it. I think the triples no. are all like twenty cent bets, and like the the minimum payout if they all hit is like one hundred and seventy thousand dollars or something insane like that. Yes, but all those guys parlayed together. I think I threw Hatton on it. I threw your boy Max Kiefer on it. And I, think oh, yeah. I, and I think I threw Matt Jones from the Live Tour on it, along with like DJ or something like that, just to really fill everything out. But I think I forgot to put Sam Ryder on it. So Sam Ryder, if anyone's going to win for me, it's going to be him, which, you know, listen, at 160 to 1, I'll take Sam Ryder. Sam Ryder does things. There's no doubt about it. I actually looked at him a little bit as well. Do you have any interest in Matt Wallace? Matt Wallace is on my card, 150 to 1. I can listen. I think that if you want to just close your eyes and pick some names below 50 to one, you're good to go. If you have someone who's won on the European That's tour, right. like Matt Wallace, who's played well at majors like Matt Wallace and seems to be coming out of that dip that he was in. 
I mean, listen, you can build a pretty compelling case for him, I think. Yeah, that's there's so many names in, in this field. It was diff, it was difficult to put together a card. I actually like it when it's like this because if you hit an outright, uh, barring that you bet like had one or someone, it's going to be a real nice payout. But it was really difficult to sort through all the guys sitting like fifty to one hundred and fifty to one. Well, it becomes one of these things where you see the names that are listed. Like I bet John uh-huh at sixty six to one. I think he's fifty to one at DraftKings Sportsbook right now. I mean, you can make a pretty 45 commitment. now, 45. Yeah. The, the steam on Johnny, huh? Coming through. Uh, he's been really good. So I, I get it. I get why he's there, but look, uh, I like John, huh? I wrote him up. So I bet him early. And now like, I, I guess I got a good price on him at 66 at 45 to one. Like if you took John, huh? At 45 to one and just looked at the guys who are 150 and 200 to one, there's not that big of a difference. <laughs> That's the, the truth. Bill Haas is 200 to one. Um, so you got names. Cam Davis is a guy that he, he was been hovering in that 50 to 40 to one range elite score. He's making in, in, I couldn't believe how many double bogeys, not that this is a great, uh, thing for your outright bets, but he's been scoring like an absolute banshee, but he can't stop making absurd things in the last two weeks. He's got nine double bogeys and one other. What's the other. Was that like the Rory quad? I don't know what it is. Yeah, it can't it can't be good. Uh, it's, you know, one of the colors when you're using the app that you're just like, I don't know what that means, but it, it can't be good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the albatross color. It's the other. Yeah, it's not the albatross color. It's just like magenta. And you're just like, I didn't know that existed. I, I do find that the brighter the color is, the better it is for your team. The darker the shade, the worse it is on the app. Yeah, you don't... <sighs> But in Europe, it's different. In Europe, you want yellow. Yellow is always good. Like albatrosses. Are, Kiefer had an albatross last week, and it was yellow. He had an albatross last week? Yeah, that's what he does. Did you have him on? Did you play Euro DraftKings last week? No, I just I just bet him, as I as I always do. Are you playing? Uh, you and I actually were discussing this before. I didn't get a concrete answer on it. Are you playing Live Showdown DraftKings? I think I'm going to have to. Uh, <laughs> why not? Got Weisberger. Uh yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll probably throw throw something in. I have not done an ounce of of really looking. I, I'm going to put some bets in there, but I have not built Showdown for Live at all. What is the? Do you have any strategy to attack this? Because I was looking for the pumpkin patch and things like that. Like I have no idea how any of this is going to work. Like even trying to figure out birdie streaks. I'm sure if you had all the intel, there's probably like a huge edge if you knew where everyone was starting on the course because like. I don't know. Maybe I that, think about that. Yeah. Like you might get like a weird, you, like some guys might like get opted out of the three easiest holes playing consecutively because they start on one of them, but miss one before because of the shotgun start. I'm sure there's little edges like that to be had. That is something that that's definitely, yeah. Like say five, six and seven are the easiest holes. If you start on, you know, seven or you start on six, that sucks. Um, I don't know what exactly it's so difficult to tell um and i not that this is going to impact showdown per se i'm very confused on the team element of this people much smarter than me probably understand it but i don't i don't even understand what that entails well essentially all it is is it's four guys independently playing and you just add their scores at the end of the week and that's the team that wins do they play together no i don't think so okay yeah, and so, it's, so they're not like helping each other on the course. No, they're not helping each other on the course, and the teams change every week. Yeah, that's dumb 
too. And apparently the names changed because I, I saw Sergio's one week old team got a rebrand already. Oh, Sir, Sergio's team got canceled already? <laughs> yeah, the fireballs, they're no more. Well, at least that the Live Tour is more proactive in changing their non-woke names, uh, more so than like the Washington Commanders. It took them like three years. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, you know, this is cutting edge stuff here when you've got, I, I saw so I and again I, I keep asking the same questions. I don't understand if you're a made-up player. As more real people come over, what you just get kicked out of live? I, I get you have to go get relegated to the Asian tour. I think. Like so, like Andy Ogletree, it was just a uh, tough, tough scene. See you later. I, I guess he tried his hand at the PGA tour and was so awful. It's like you know what? I'm probably better off taking this cash grab for one event. It's probably more than I'm going to make in the next four years. That's not unreasonable. Um, yeah, it's. Because there's some dudes, someone named Ian Snyman is there. Never heard of that person in my life. There's one team. I think it's Patrick Reed's team. Maybe it's Bryson's team. It's just like a, it's like a stack team versus the rest of them. It's really funny. Yeah, of, co- of course, Bryson would game the system. He's going to be going all out, I'm sure. By the way, uh, that, that's why I bet Bryson. I, I feel like he is the only one who's going to take this seriously. Oh, he's going to take it crazy seriously. Uh, everyone else is, yeah, just like coasting. Just, you know, kicking back on their pile of money. Bryson, 100% is strategizing how to optimize uh, the pumpkin patch. Did you look at the weather at all for Silvis, Illinois? I found the uh, the wind tower closest to the course. I'll include that in the newsletter tonight, uh, as you know, you'll probably want to see it closer to. The wind is, like, out of control on Thursday. Uh, in the morning, they get to the course. It's 12 miles per hour, but gusts up to 30. And then it's constantly, like, 15 to 20 the rest of the day with gusts up to 30, which is kind of crazy. That's just Thursday. The wind is down on Friday, but it looks like it's going to rain all day, and then the weekend is fine. So I don't even really know how to approach this from an AM, PM perspective because it seems like everyone is impacted on Thursday and I don't know if there's going to be enough rain but there could potentially be thunderstorms uh, it looks like it's a bit colder like it's going to be 60 uh, 64 degrees cold I, I don't know Fahrenheit no not really okay. it's fine well it's like moderate eight, it, it's 82 the day before and it's 64 on Friday and even on the weekend it seems like it's going to like remain in the 60s until you get back to like 82 on Sunday afternoon so I have no idea like are they going to have a stoppage of this tournament when that happens, like, do you just play both sides and hope to get lucky with some of it? Because I think you could contend that, hey, PM, AM is great. These guys are going to be wrapped up with their rounds. Uh, that's probably to the benefit. Or if they don't get canceled and they just get pushed later into the day for the afternoon wave on Friday, that these guys get to come out at a, like a potentially soggy course and go pin seeking. I can see that argument to it as well. I just have no idea. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing with weather. Uh, for every time that you're right, there's like three other times where it's a reverse split or an unknown split. Uh, the only thing I would do with that is maybe, particularly with showdown, but even on on full slate, maybe I would bump a little uh, on certain teams around the green if if it's going to be actually a little nasty because uh, greens and, re- and regulation could be down a little bit. But I still think guys are going to play pretty good around this course it's hard to think that it's going to be very very difficult i would tend to agree so again i'll throw the updated weather link it's the same weather link but i'll throw it in the newsletter this evening if you're looking for it plus i have some early scottish open notes that are up there uh i i heard from a bunch of people i'm going to be away this weekend as a lot of people are going to be away this weekend because our holiday is actually friday not monday or is it tuesday for you when's the fourth is the fourth of monday or a tuesday it's a monday so i 
Jeff and yeah, I will Monday. be in the studio on the 4th, but uh, I'm going to be away on Friday and I'll be away for the weekend. So I won't have like the up-to-date field for the research show, but I've already been digging into the Scottish Open from the Renaissance Club. People are looking to bet the Irish Open this week. There has been a pretty strong, there was a very strong correlation a year ago between the Irish and Scottish, very similar names at the very top. Our guy, Lucas Ebel from Australia, not the French guy, not Ben Ebel. Lucas Ebert, Herbert, as he prefers to be called, uh, ended up winning in Ireland. I think he was fourth at the Scottish at the Renaissance Club. He had performed very well at the Renaissance Club the year before. I found some strokes gain data. Shout out to uh, SGT Green on Twitter, who does a lot of this Euro strokes gain stats that he compiles on his own. So I've included that with a link back to him in the newsletter as well. So if you want to get a head start or even just try to bet the Irish by looking at the Scottish from last year, that information is going to be in there. Reminder again, smash like to the episode sub to Mayo Media Network. If you want to ask a question, we'll get to that very soon. Well, not very soon. Soon enough. Sometime in the future, we'll get to your questions in the chat. Sub to the newsletter and the Listener's League. Not full yet. Go play in the Listener's League. DraftKings ownership for the week. I think it's going to be difficult to be... I mean, it's either one of those weeks where everything is exactly right in terms of ownership, or you're just going to be wildly surprised at some of the names that pop up. I do think that Webb and Hadwin are going to be the two most popular players. They're the two most expensive players. After Berger withdrew, and after Kitayama withdrew, and after Steve Stricker withdrew... I just think a lot of people are playing Webb Hadwin lineups and Webb is now undervalued in this field, isn't he? Like he's, I know that he's not the betting favorite at DraftKings Sportsbook. Adam Hadwin is, but I think you can make a pretty good case based on reputation alone that Webb Simpson should be like 12-5 in this field. Yeah, this is something that, you know, when you get these weird fields, it seems like the pricing is almost preloaded and they have to fill in you know, with the names available and, and it's not flexible in the sense that Webb Simpson is a lot closer to flirting with, you know, mid 10K price tags on a given week than Hadwin, Thigala, Denny McCarthy, even Jason Day at this point. So I get it. Webb is going to be very, very popular. There's no doubt about it. But he's also, I think, far and away the most reliable guy in this field. Yeah, the Fantasy National Simulator agrees. It has him winning this tournament around 7% of the time, which is by far the highest of anyone. It's not even particularly close. Number two is actually Chez Reevee. Uh, and he wins around 2.1% of the time. So you're getting like three, almost four X on Webb in terms of win equity versus the next closest guy in the field. It's Webb, Shez, Hadwin, Mav McNeely, Cam Davis, or one, two, three, four, five. Jason Day is actually number six. I think he, there's three guys that I wrote up uh, in terms of who could really help you this week. Because Tambo always kind of mentions this. On weeks where no one really seems to give a shit, which I would qualify this as one of those (laughs) weeks, that all the content is going to look exactly the same. Everyone's on exactly the same guys. That there are three players above $8,000 that are not drawing very much ownership for a good reason. Like, there's a reason that you don't want to play these guys. But in terms of pure leverage, it could be the way to go. Those three names are Cameron Champ, C.T. Pan, and Jason Day. I think I like Champ the best of those three, but if you do want to be contrarian, if you just start your team with Jason Day, build whoever else you want around him. There's no doubt that when you look at the top, Webb makes the most sense. Hadwin's playing really good. Figalo easily could have won last week. He's been electric. Jason Day's been awful, and I think that most people recognize that. People are going to go up to get Webb, or they're just going to go balanced and start with like Maverick. So I, I totally agree with that. I'm a sucker for CT Pan. I've been playing him the whole time. He had gained nine straight with the approach. And then he just, I don't know what he was doing at Travelers. I have no explanation, but 
I'm okay hanging on. I think he will be good leverage off what I think will be a popular JT Poston. I don't know how popular Poston's going to get to. So the way that I had really? it, yeah, I, I, I came into the week expecting him to be super highly owned, but none of the ownership numbers I'm looking at are suggesting that whatsoever, because I think that a lot of people are really committed to Webb Hadwin, one, two or web someone else in the nines. And then it just takes you out of that area a lot. Like I'm seeing Charles Howell the third with a lot of ownership. I'm seeing Stallings with a ton of ownership. I'm good with Faden Stallings. If Stallings be- beats me, Stallings beats me. Uh, Cam Davis, Nick Hardy. These are all names that are popping up above. And then John Hone is getting a ton of ownership. Svensson, Adam Shank. Like I can see where these builds are going very easily and how they're being set up that if you just want to be slightly different, like it doesn't even need to be dated. Cause I don't think the is going to carry a ton of ownership. Like if Webb's going to be like pushing 30, which he should be by the way. And I don't disagree with that. And Hadwin's pushing like 20 to 25. How much room is really left for the Like I would say 15 max for him and it's probably the under of that so you could just start yeah, teams which, with him and that's good yeah i have absolutely no problem with that and it is a good point obviously when you allocate the major ownership to webb and hadwin's going to get his there just really isn't that much left what about patrick rogers rogers will be popular but not like he'll be less popular than stallings howell that's probably it. He's probably next on there. He's in the like Cam Davis range, Nick Hardy range. Uh, I, I think that he's all around those guys. But I don't think that people are going to use Bazadenhout, which is really, I mean, it's not really strange because the guy is, every time we use him, he's awful. But on paper, wedges and inside 10-foot putting, isn't that the Cbez method? It is. He, he's just been a little quiet lately, but I, I have no problem with him of the nines. I mean, him and Maverick, I think, are in the buy low spots there. But, you know, it's funny when you said, OK, there's three names uh, north of 8K that could be really underowned, And you said Champ. And I totally agree. Jason Day. Totally agree. When you said the third one, I thought you were going to say Adam Long. I like Adam Long. Adam Long is one of the few people I have starred. And this is a very difficult ownership to figure out because he's very popular on Fantasy National right now. I think people are looking at his numbers. Uh, I even wrote him up in Golf Digest this week in a head-to-head with someone because every time he makes the weekend, he's really good. He doesn't always make the weekend. It's like the Dosecki's man. But every time that he gets there, he's like a top 35 lock. And you know, if you can get a guy to the weekend, which theoretically he should in this field, um, I like Adam. I, he'll be like 10% owned, I think. Uh, that would be my guess, maybe like 12%. But I think you like would you talked about those balance builds, and maybe those are somewhat contrarian, but maybe not because you never really know. Like, are the people that are passing on Webb and Hadwin just doing the pure balance? Because I don't think the pure balance is a good idea this week because you're just giving up so much win equity at the top, even with these lesser names. It's, it's such a weird type of situation because the the difference between even the 6k range and the 8k like it's a couple good starts here and there there's almost no interchangeable parts so i I see the method to both i I think i think that more people than not are gonna say man i want to just click these guys in the 8k range and and maybe get web attached to them but i I have a feeling a lot of people are going to be reluctant to really dumpster dive this week Let's see. If you use Web off the hop for your five remaining spots, you have $7,900. So who is the popular, like, cheap-ish guy? Because we knew the guys at the top of the sevens. I've already kind of mentioned. Huh? Svensson, Shank. The, and, probably, and probably Shez Revy as well. Goderup? 
Uh, maybe? I think people are still a bit uh, wary of old Chris Goderup after he burned everyone at the Canadian Open. It's been really good since. The other names floating around, like, potentially double digits. You're looking at, like, Laird, Nick Taylor, Hubbard, Goderup. Yeah, he'll be right around there, I think. But I don't think they're going to be overwhelming. I don't see anyone really... I mean, if you're using an optimizer, it will tell you Von Taylor like it does every single week, but that ownership never really meshes up with where the projections are. I think that you know, people who use optimizers, use projection systems, use Fantasy National, just see the stats on them and then they go on their way. Lee Hodges and Hayden Buckley, but I'm thinking like 5-6% with them. Like the highest owned I have down the list, yeah, it probably is Goderup in like maybe 10%, maybe Nate Lashley 10%, but let's just say Mark Hubbard because it looks like he will be reasonably popular. So then you go Mark Hubbard. So you throw Mark Hubbard into your lineup at $7,400. So you have Webb and Mark Hubbard. You have $8,000 left. That means you can use, who's the cheapest of the guys that I mentioned? Shank at 77. So let's throw Shank into that lineup. Now you have $8,100 left. This is pretty easy to do because I said Scott Stallings is likely going to be pretty popular. Rogers, Nick Hardy. You can use Nick Hardy at 87. And then at 78, you can still use John Huh if you want to. And you can use Svensson if you want to. I mean, that's the play, the best plays lineup, isn't it? Right there? Yeah, it does. That's, I think you're going to see a lot of variations off that where, you know, you kick out Shank and, and you put in, you know, say like Svensson or someone else, and then you flip Hardy to Patrick Rogers or to Stallings. I think Webb and ending in the sevens is going to be the most popular build. And that's what this is. This is four sevens yep. with a low of 74, Webb and, and Hardy. But Hardy, like you said, that could be Rogers. That could be, I mean, at, just pivoting off of Hardy to Adam Long, I think works out pretty well. Uh, if you wanted to go lower, like there's guys in the sixes that I like. Like I like Kelly Craft. I don't think that he's, look, I don't Bill think. Haas. Bill Haas for you. I mean, Grio is projected at like 4%. Like why not Grio here? I don't think he can putt enough, but you know. Yeah, I mean, that, that entire 4% is just me. So outside of my dusty lineups, he, no one actually is going to play him, so. But I think that's the construct that will be most mimicked. Like some, like you mentioned, some variation of that lineup that we just built is going to be the top end. Are there guys in the sevens that you like, if you go, let's go nines and eights for right now. I have Bezadenhout. I'm going to use him at 91. I have Adam Long at 86. Pan and Cameron Champ, 81 and 8,000. Like I can fill in more guys in that mix, but those are the ones that I feel the best about at the moment. Yeah, I'm pretty much in line. I like Bez. Uh, I like Rogers, CT Pan. I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely take a, a close look at Lucas Glover as well. Um, we'll, we'll see him and Cam Davis. I'm, they're close. Cam Davis is gonna be very popular. So there are certainly names. And then if JT Poston is not popular, and it, as you said, it doesn't seem like he's gonna be chalk. I'm very comfortable with him. He gained in all four categories elite putter if the irons are even remotely good this is the right type of course for him yeah wedges and putting that's essentially yeah. what this but like if you're just gonna boil it down to any two things it's that and it's like close putting it's not you know who's the best from 25 feet it's who's the best from seven feet for the week which isn't super predictable but tends to be a bit more predictable than long-term putting from long distances like not necessarily lag putting but just makes from in close uh looking at five to ten feet right now past 36 rounds your best players in the field gay crap Bill Haas, Denny. If Denny's not going to be popular, is this a time to use a 9,900 Denny? It might be in the sense that, you know, he was trending crazy upward. He killed everybody. And then he gets the huge price bump. He he still gained four strokes putting uh, at the miscut. He's, 
I mean, he is the best putter in the world. So I, I get it. I just think for, for me, it's like, you could also just flick a heck a hundred extra bucks and get day. Um, I'm okay with either of those. I think Denny McCarthy is not overpriced. Uh, that run of form was, he found something there, even with the bad miscut. Yeah, it was a pretty logical bad miscut as well, coming off what is essentially, it's not even essentially, it is his best career performance is what he did at the U.S. Yes. Open. So having a bit of a letdown isn't super surprising when you're coming off. When you have such a good iron week, approach week, against the best players in the world at a very difficult course, and you're not a great iron player, chances are that's not going to continue. That's true. And the putter, I mean, it, it, it's insane. So I, I get it. It's a premium tag. There's no doubt, but he's going to make his fair share. That's for sure. Who else can we look at in the sevens? Because all the guys that are popular, kind of the guys that I like, uh, no surprise there. I have Grio highlighted for the moment. Huh? And Shank, Reavy. Uh, your boy Lahiri's here. Okay. I, I don't know if Lahiri's great for this course, but who knows with him? I'm shocked he's not on the live tour yet. Libiota at 73. I like Jagger at 71, Sam Ryder at 71. But I think that these are the names that people are gravitating towards. I've seen people talk up Zach Johnson. I don't know if I can get there about it. Lipsky was super popular until like two weeks ago. They burned everyone. Now no one wants a piece of him. I've seen Putnam talked up a little bit, but you have your two guys here. You got Matt Wallace and Matthias Schwab. Like, are you just using those two? So I definitely like Matt Wallace. He he was just broken. He went back to Europe. He found something. And now he's made two straight cuts uh, in Canada and at the Travelers. I don't know what to do with Schwab. I'll be honest. Can't get him right lately. I think that Fratelli makes sense. He had made 10 straight cuts before what was just a really bad performance. No one's really looking to him. He's crazy scoring abilities. Obviously, we've seen the success here is is that not a name i guess it should be it's just when he won this tournament he did it in the weirdest way possible Bizarro. yeah because he, he does that he he loses on average over the past two years 0.3 of a stroke per round on bent grass greens so he's like it's by far his worst surface yet when you go look at the john deere classic he won it by gaining 7.5 strokes putting losing strokes on approach and gaining five around the greens like that is just that is not a recipe to win a golf tournament. He happened to win, but I don't know, man. Like that's the, that's just pure insanity. He likes the greens here. What can I say? Yeah. He, he knows uh, the green complexes very well. It reminds him of South Africa. You know, the, the correlation between Iowa or wherever the hell they are. Um, yeah. I mean, in theory, I know I have no credibility with this, but in theory, Grio should be okay here. Should he not? I would think so, especially because he's like playing a little bit better. Nick Taylor's right there at seventy five hundred dollars as well. Who, he's such a boomer bust type guy. Like we've he's won twice on the PGA Tour, and some of these weeks it's like eight strokes gained on approach. All right, I'll use him this week. It's like minus eight on approach. Like, fuck happened to you, man? What's going on here? Uh, Grio, at least. I mean, the putting is back to being normal Grio putting. He's losing like. You know, two and a half strokes per tournament. But at least he's making the cut now. He didn't make the cut at the Travelers. But like in Canada, we got the Griot performance that we like. Gained a bunch off the tee, gained a bunch on approach. He's fixed the driver. That is consistent now, but we're not seeing those spikes in terms of approach, which still worries me a little. Like He still lost two of his past three, despite having the one little spike. That was the first time he had gained over two and a half strokes on approach in since the Sanderson Farms of last year. It's like 15 starts. Well, that's not good, but bad news. I mean, 
Yeah. I, there's names though, like Smalley and Gim are right there. I mentioned for Telly. I agree that Laird and Taylor are the obvious targets. Um, not going to play Kazire. Ryan Moore. Oh. I mean, Ryan Moore's won this event before. And like, if you were trying to create a statistical profile of the type of player that succeeds at this course, like what we know Ryan Moore to have been is the prototype for this course. Like he just hits a bunch of fairways, doesn't drive it very far. You get him 125 and in, he's absolutely unstoppable. Can he make putts during that week? If the answer is yes, he's going to win. If not, he's going to come like T35 or something like that. But that's the profile of player that you want. He has made four cuts in a row which isn't bad. I don't mind going to Ryan Moore. I mean, he's of all the guys. Well, obviously uh, he should beat Stricker. Now we know that. And I think he's better (laughs) than Zach Johnson. So if I was taking, yeah, Ryan Moore is dangerous with the wedges. I mean, and there's not that much else there. There really isn't. I I was actually looking forward to playing Stricker too. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I can't do that. I mean, he's, he withdrew, so it's probably, Pretty good that you don't do that. Points right? still stand. Yeah, no, I mean, he he was good at the, uh, you know, the, playing against Lee Jansen or whoever the hell was in that tournament. You mean but, the, the senior U.S. Open? Yeah, that one. Patty Harrington won. Good. Patty Harrington's a good – he'll probably win. Is he in the – I assume he's in the Irish Open. Is he not? He is. He's like 80-1 to 1 in the Irish Open right now. He was like top five at the PGA Championship last year. Yeah, he's a player. The Irish Open. What happened to Paul? Man, Paul Dunn is the flat man. That guy I thought was going to be great. One oh, of my many feel bad like, calls. I feel like Paul Gettner Dunn had a nice run like as an amateur. Or he was like 16 years old the last time the Open was at St. Andrews. I think he was one of those jabronis that was up there with DJ through two rounds. Then they all just disappeared off the leaderboard. Yeah, he, I mean, he disappeared for like 10 years apparently. Um, I bet him, where was it? I think it was that Morocco tournament. It was him. I think it was... Eduardo Molinari. I had to hedge out on Paul Dunn in a playoff. It was was a tough scene back then, although I was winning bets back then, so maybe it wasn't as tough as I thought. (laughs) Those are the best. And that was like, yeah, the tournament in Oman. All those, that's my favorite swing over in Europe. But how low, I wanted to ask you this, how low are you looking to go this week? Like, are are you playing like Boo Weekly? No, in the sixes, uh, I'm kind of interested. It's funny because we were doing the cut sweat show for the U.S. Open, and Wiley was just joking the entire time about this Chris Nagel, Nagel, Nigel, whatever his name is. He qualified for this. He, he made the cut at the U.S. Open. We we're like, well, this guy's definitely going to blow up and help us like get back to plus four. Didn't get to plus four, and he didn't blow up. So like, he's a name down there. Landry, I don't know what has happened to Andrew Landry, but this used to be like his jam. This was his tournament. He has missed eight consecutive cuts. <laughs> Think about Andrew Landry. Even though he's been awful, when he's not awful, he gives you real upside. Yeah. Even now. I don't know about now, but... Eh, it's debatable. He, What is Andrew Landry? I just was looking at this yesterday. Andrew Landry, yeah, he's missed all, all those cuts. He was seventh at Mayakoba and fourth at Sanderson Farms. It, literally, if he doesn't miss the cut this year, it's a top 10. I mean, I guess that's why the price difference between he and Andrew Long is so, uh, or Adam Long, sorry, is so much different because Adam Long is kind of the more consistent version of that. It's like if he makes the cut, he's top 35, no questions asked. He's a good weekend player. There's a couple guys, it's funny to look at that. I was trying to parse through it and like Glover's kind of the opposite. Like Glover had his two best performances over like the past like four months have been at the Masters and the PGA Championship. 
everything else, he either misses the cut or makes the weekend on the number and then fucking sucks on the weekend. At least Long yeah. like gives you something once he gets there. Yeah, the T56 isn't going to get it done. I got... I have a couple of names Kelly, down here. Kelly, Kelly Craft, Austin Cook. I'm using Austin Cook at $6,500. That's my guy, man. He won me the RSM. He's a legend to me. You do love that guy. What about Scott Brown? Scott Brown weirdly rates out really well for me. I can just, I never, unless it's being played in Puerto Rico, I don't want to use Scott Brown. I mean, they say Silvis, Illinois, the Puerto Rico of the Midwest. You've heard that. So, um, Scott Brown loves this course. He destroys this course. I would say in the sixes, I have Lee Hodges, who does everything besides putt, which, you know, he's never, not not a great uh, recipe. Kelly Craft at 67 and Austin Cook at 65. I I think you can interchange those three names with any three names that you want, but staying out of this range is probably the move. I think as I haven't said this in quite a while, I think that you could play Grayson this week. Oh boy. He's going to break his club. Good, break a call. I don't care. Break, hopefully breaks it on the weekend because uh, that means it didn't go horrible. But if he gets there, he scores like a banshee. He's out of control. Him and Chapel, just, I don't know. I've I, made worse decisions than that. I didn't even realize Chapel was in this field, so that's fun to know. What happened to Ari? Yeah. What happened to Ari Iggs? The guy was I on don't a, know. He's so bad now. It's rough. Get him on, go to live. Get him on live. Yeah, he could... What about Cameron Percy? Mm-hmm. I mean, n- numbers will like Cameron Percy. I, if you ever use Cameron Percy, there are two ways to use Cameron Percy. One, first round leader. Two, showdown. That's it. Late round showdown. Yeah, okay. I can get I can get down with that. Um, so the, the numbers suggest, so I, I did this by the past 36 rounds, and like Boo Weekly is inside the top 50 in this field because his rounds are from like eight years ago, whatever it is. It's not a great field. Uh, so below, actually starting at 7,000, right, 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 7,100, Ryder is fourth by my numbers. Smotherman is third, although he's been bad the past three starts. Uh, so going back to 36 rounds, that's more weighted towards the back end than the front end. Lee Hodges is number 15. Scott Brown is number 30. Von Taylor, 23. Wesley Bryan, 20. Doc Redman, 24. Chase Seifert, your guy, 21st. And Cameron Percy, 19th. Those are like the best of the best from down here over that time frame. If we shrink it down to like past 12 rounds, which might be more instructive for certain stats, like not all the ones that I have included, but if you're looking at like proximity stats, wedge play, that kind of thing, if you're just trying to ride some recent form, 12 rounds might be the look this week, would you think? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think that's where it gets tricky. But, you know, if you're seeing guys that are on multiple different metrics, you're not going to find everything. I, I've, I've said this a lot to me in the sixes. Give me a guy that does one thing really good, and I'll just cling to that and hope that he can carry it rather than some of these guys that do really nothing. It's all slightly below average. Like, I, I'd go with the gimmicky putter here or just like a masher, one of those type of things like is brandon hagee yeah hagee's down here those types looking at the past 12 rounds same metrics but now shrinking the sample size by two-thirds lee hodges is now number three sabatini is 19th uh chase seifert is 25th where's your boy scott brown he's now 90th if you look at it that way Uh, chris stroud is 24th scott gutkowski is 11th 
I don't know who that is. He, he's the gut. He's real old. He tried to kill poor Thigau off the tee last week in the first round. But uh, I did. Okay. And Austin Cook goes up to 45th, and mainly because he's been bad at putting. There we go. So it's like Austin Cook or Long Dong Paul Barjon. I'll go without it. I'll go with Austin Cook this week. But Seifert. Seifert looks like actually a real play. Seifert's a play, for sure. He's somewhat well-rounded. Uh, not doing anything prolific, but it's okay because the price price tag is more than reasonable. Yeah, so Lee Hodges, Seifert, Kraft, maybe Austin Cook. That's the extent of what I'm doing in the 6Ks. And that's only in like f- my 50 lineup tournament build. Like these guys aren't making yep. these guys aren't making my 3 max. <laughs> nope. Okay. So let's review the play the best plays lineup. Do you want to make any changes to that now that we've talked it through a little bit? I honestly don't. I feel pretty confident that people are going to be able to comfortably click in web and still land with their last man. I, I think that Goddard up Hubbard type range is where people are going to round it out and they will just pick four of the mid range plays. So essentially the build that we're talking about. So the lineup that we went with was Webb Simpson, which I think is going to be, you know, one fourth to one third of lineups are going to start with Webb Simpson, which makes it, would you go a hundred percent Webb Simpson this week? So I'm not going to, but I think that's more than a reasonable strategy. You just play five-man lineups and you say if Webb, you know, if he doesn't perform, I get bageled, then that's fine because if he wins, if he gives you a good performance, uh, why why not? I've done that at times and this is a week to consider it. I'm not doing it, but I get that logic. I'm thinking about it solely because it's not so, like, you have People aren't going to leave $5,000 on the table. That's just not going to happen. So when you start thinking about what does Webb actually have to do to be a legitimate value? Let's say Webb comes T13. He's the highest price guy. Well, that sucks. But did he wipe the floor with Hadwin, Thigala, and Day, and basically any of the top like seven guys? Is T13 good enough? If all those guys aren't T13 or better or didn't outscore him on DraftKings, then yeah, your you're 5e5 is fine. Absolutely. It all is dependent on that. I mean, likewise, it's, you know, if a couple other guys there, even if Webb plays really good, if, if Figala and Day are, you know, one, two, you're, you're in gigantic trouble. So uh, I get it. The room for Webb to get there is, is quite large. I'm a little more comfortable going to, to the Thigala Day types or going balanced. So I'm not locking Webb in, but I get that logic. I, I think I'm more prone to use Thigala this week and just try to, you know, ride the heater although he hasn't really followed up performances all that well but just looking at the ownership if he's going to be half of what Hadwin is I think that makes a lot of sense right now so the play the best plays lineup is officially Webb Simpson Nick Hardy but Nick Hardy could be Patrick Rogers it could be Cam Davis anyone in that high eights and then the four 7k guys Hubbard at the low end it could be Goderup could be whoever huh Svensson and Shank I think are going to be very popular choices before we jump to the chat and I know that you have to go. So it's going to be just you and I batting around some ideas here off the top in terms of the chat. And then we'll get into whatever uh, after you leave. And it'll just be me firing through the chat. <laughs> if we build a Webb Simpson Hadwin lineup, what does that look like? So we have Webb Simpson and Hadwin. 10 6, 10 4. That's $7,200. Do you think you can just live in that bottom seven range? Ryder, Hubbard, uh, you know, the other guys that we talked about down there? Or do you think this is the move to say, like, hey, here is Austin Cook. He's now in my lineup at 65, and now I'm back into that shank, whatever type region that you can go into. I think the move is probably to take your favorite punt, uh, whether that's Seifert 
or cook. It doesn't mean you need someone at the flat min, but that'll help a lot because if you do it the other way, you're going to probably go like, yeah, you mentioned Ryder, Smotherman, um, Hubbard, Goddard-up types. I'm not sure that's exactly what you want to be doing this week. Yeah, you go Webb, Hadwin, Kelly, Kraft, Sam, Ryder. Now you have 7,600 for two spots. So yep. if you if you want to get like crazy with it, you could go Seifert in that lineup. Now you're back up to 85, and you can use Cam Davis if you want to do. See, that's a, that's a weird permutation. Like, I, I like those type of builds. Um, you can also attack them. You know, you could go like, Rio and Shank um, as well. So you have different options if you don't double punt. Okay. That was the play of the best plays lineup. Once again, smash the like. You got to be sub to Mayo Media Network in order to get yourself a question, to earn a question into the chat. All this information is going to be available in the newsletter along with the cheat sheets. That's down in the description. Please go sub to that right now, completely free. And sometimes there's bonuses and deals and free money giveaways in the newsletter as well, along with some secret content. So you don't want to miss out on secret content. And I have NFL notes all the way through there as well. Uh, additionally, playing the Listener's League, we still have about 500 spots to go. We need to fill that. Uh, thank you everyone for maxing the u.s open we're going to try to do the same thing for the open championship in two weeks so we got to fill if we don't fill up the john deere then we're not going to have a chance for any of that alex Han! oh wow i got the black lung paw uh long time listener first time caller great show as always any interest in goddard up this week yes i do have interest in goddard up as do i he, he's shown talent aggressive off the tee price is right uh a very solid play any thoughts on starting web hadwin i mean we just kind of walked through that but yeah i think i think that you can get away with it this week if you want to i don't know if i'm going to because i think that web the gala just makes your lineup so much different or even just day but i think i'll have like a lot of web bez starts for me i think i would agree you definitely can do it in terms of what hadwin it's more the other four guys you are really funneled even if you take a 6k guy i don't love the look of it it feels like there's a lot less win equity in the 10k range this week i agree outside of web oh yeah i agree as well thanks for doing this guys well thank you smotherman or michael thompson i'll just say michael thompson why not we're not in Florida. What the hell is Michael Thompson doing? I'd say, I'd say Smotherman, but I, I'm not sure I get to either of them. I'd rather play Chad Ramey or Scott Brown. I'd play Lee Hodges. That that would be where I would go in that range because I'm not using either of those guys. The Smotherman has been like pulling a chief on Jack Nicholson and one flew over the cuckoo's nest on me. He legitimately has been smothering my lineups. It's not good. Yeah, that's not that's not the answer. No, and I don't have like a big like water cooler that I can throw through a window and escape. No, I just have a miscut in my lineup. That's never good. Who would you pick in the one and done besides Webb? I went with Bez. Yeah, I think Bez is fine. I th I think Patrick Rogers is going to play very well. I do. All right. Raza may need to cover his ears on this, but building off what no putt Glover pulled off last year, who is coming in with a hot putter? Not sure of appropriate sample size for this exercise. I don't know. Who has a hot putter? Didn't I just go through these guys? Denny McCarthy has a perpetual hot putter. From 5 to 10, Bez, Dewey, Vanderwalt, Denny, Todd, Gay, Haas, huh? Sean Stephanie, who's apparently in this field. David Skins. He was alive. David Skins and Cam Cam Davis. Those are your top ten. There you go. David Skins, huh? Interesting. Isn't that the guy from Tin Cup? It might be. I, I haven't watched Tin Cup in a while, but something was going through my mind. 
that I forget what whoever he was playing with in the mm-hmm. uh, in the final group. He was playing with uh, fake David Skins or the guy who's supposed to be Phil Mickelson. And Tin Cup goes for it, puts a bunch into the water, and then like lips the other guy mm-hmm. for laying up on the par five. But can't the guy just get it up and down for birdie and still like win? <laughs> who the Tin Cup guy or the other guy? The other guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's Tin Cup. It's got Rene Russo and David Skins. I, I don't. <laughs> The, the the concept of the movie has there's a lot going on there. Um, I haven't seen Tim Cup in quite a while, but pretty sure that David Skins is now on the PGA Tour after a, a decent acting career. Next question involves uh, Ryan Amell. Somehow popped is number one in my model, says Jimmy. What do you think of him this week? I think that he's just another one of these names. This is a pure preference type week. Uh, he's made two cuts in a row. That's positive. He wasn't even supposed to be in the Travelers field last week. I think he was the last man in once someone, I think once Sungjae ended up pulling out very late or whoever it was. And he came like 35th or something like that. Let's see. What did Ryan Armour come? Ryan Armour came 25th. 25th last week, 35th at the Canadian Open. He did it all with his putter last week and good driving. No approach, no around the green, but that was the opposite of what happened at the Canadian Open. I mean, it's not inconceivable that he could have a good week. I, I don't hate it. No, I don't hate I mean... He's a good ball striker, especially in this field. I, I'd rather play Sam Ryder, but these are these are coin flips. So I, I think if he's grading out for you, you shouldn't be deterred by that now. No, if that was who you're looking at, then go with it. I mean, no one's yep. going no one's going with him, so you might as well go with it. Those are the best type of plays. Like you don't want, you know, if you're finding a guy, don't be especially this week. It's okay to be alone on some of these plays. Having a tough time picking anyone over $9,000. How contrarian would it be just to go all 8K guys? Very, but probably stupid. Definitely contrarian. I think even in this, you know, create a field, you're giving up a little too much to not have any of those guys. Uh, Looking at these names up here now in the 9K, who do you think is the best fade? I, I think it's CH3, just because to me... He doesn't kill you that often. I'm not saying he's going to play horrible, but if he gives you like a 33rd, you can survive with the pivots off Bez McCarthy types. I was shocked to see CH3 coming up really highly in the ownership. Me too. Like I didn't. That's why I think he's the best fade. Like he has some decent performance. He has one top 10, two top 10s, three top 10s, four top 10s, five top 10s since the beginning of 2019. How often does he crush you here? Like, it, it doesn't seem like that's that often. John, at John Deere, 23rd, it's just he's made the cut each of the past six like times he's played. 23rd, 6th, 19th, 60th, 23rd, 33rd. So as long as he doesn't come 6th, any of those other results are fine. Yep. Like you could win that's with him. You could win with him in your lineup with those results, but you're not going to win because he's in your lineup. It's because all the other 9Ks sucked and he was okay. And you're not going to lose with him not in your lineups that often. Exactly. And if he's going to be like 22% owned, I mean, why not just use the 10% Bez instead? Agree. Uh, who is your sleeper pick this week, Ben? Probably, I mean, Grayson, I think, is is as outrageous as you can get. Bill Haas, to me, isn't that crazy. I honestly think he's just a fine play. He's putting really well. This is the type of course he can compete on. He's making cuts. 3v3, CH3, John, uh? Svensson or Stallings, Cam Davis, and Lipsky. I actually like the CH3 side because I, I don't like Stallings. 
Stallings is a weird one because Stallings rates out so well for me. When I do the short-term modeling, he's number one, but he's legit going to be like 20% owned as well. And it's almost like the CH3. Like, is he going to win this for me? Probably not. I would go with the first three with the caveat that your other three, you're going to have to do something though. Cause you're not, you're not really differentiating there. Those are pretty stable, popular targets, but I don't really like Lipsky that much. And I'm not really on Stallings either. Yeah. The CH three, huh? And Svensson is tough. Like if you just want to take out Howell at 93 for basically anyone else in that range, cause he projects to be the highest down. Like you can just go to Bez. It makes it instantly a little bit better. Even if you got up to Mav somehow and went from like, if you want to get stay on chalk and not use Svensson, you could go to Hubbard if you wanted to. And then you could probably get yourself mm-hmm. up to Denny all of a sudden instead of Charles Howell, the third, then like you're far more unique with exactly the same upside that's the key absolutely yeah, let's keep rolling through this then uh, any love for model darling von taylor i'm gonna pass i'm gonna pass as well any love for putting sensation wesley bryan here's the thing about wes bryan and his putting it's not always that good <laughs> he's not denny <laughs> he's certainly not denny wesley bryan is venturing into off the tee being so bad that you can't overcome it. He's got to be a little better. I'm not saying he's got to gain, but you can't lose like five strokes off the tee and expect to be okay. Pat and Ben, best in the business? Smash the like button. That's a question that I like. I can get behind that one. Yeah, that's... Do you think it will be common to build... Do you think the common build... Do you think it will be a common build to completely avoid the 10K range? I don't think so. I think it's going to be a little more common than you think. Uh, not People are going to go to web clearly, but I think if they don't, you will see a, a decent amount of people start with like CH3. Okay, so let's try to do an experiment on this. Let's say I think web is 30%. I think Hadwin is 25%. The Gala is, let's say, 13%. And Day is 8%. So those are the four guys. And there will be combinations of two of them. But like if we start adding independently, if we add that up, it's 55, 68, 75. So we're at 75% total ownership between those four guys. Let's say 25% of those end up using two of them. Maybe that's a low estimate on my regard. But then you have at least half of the teams are starting with someone above $10,000. Yeah. So maybe maybe it's uh, semantics. That means a lot of teams aren't. Like I I think there'll be a good amount that won't then clearly any chance jason day finds his irons or tomorrow will not be his day i think he's a good pivot play i think he's a good contrarian play hell i think he's a good contrarian one and done play if you need to try to catch up because no legitimately no one is going to take that chance to use jason day and in this fucking field why not yeah this is where pga dfs is always interesting and I, I like this aspect do i think he finds his irons probably not and i still like the play because it's worth the risk i think we don't know and that's why you should probably look to him if you can stomach it yeah the more we talk about this the more i think i'm gonna use day which is not that's not good that seems bad that seems like no, a way it's to not lose good. money yes correct that that's both of those things can be true somehow how would you rank these golfers as for a top 20? Cameron Davis, Sam Ryder, Kevin Chappell, Kelly Craft, and 
Scott Brown. It's Cameron Davis by far. I mean, he has by far. Just look, by at, the, far. Just look at the odds. Like, the odds are going to really tell you that Cameron Davis, big gap. Sam Ryder, big gap. Rest of the jabronis. That's that's the way to do it. It's very true. I think that Scott Brown is an interesting top 20 bet. I do. But clearly, uh, he is behind. I mean, Cam Davis is in a class of his own with those guys. I, I think Kelly Craft is the best like top 20 bet of those guys per value. You kind of feel the same way about Scott Brown. But Correct. Not, not safe, put it that way. No, and percent chance of cashing your ticket uh, far behind Ryder and Cam Davis. Correct. Zach, what's the Zach Johnson question? Is Zach Johnson's course history worth 15% exposure in 150 GPP? He has two top 25s in his last sevens, but the other five are missed cuts. So that would make him what? 10% of your lineup? 7.5% yeah. of your lineups? How many? What did I didn't? If it's 15 of 150, it would be 10%. Okay. So where is Zach Johnson? Well, how much is Zach Johnson? There he is. He's like in the mid sevens. I mean, it's, it's not for me. Listen, listen, I, I don't want this to be the show where I talk people out of, I'm suggesting crappy guys. You're bringing up crappy guys. They're all crappy. That if you want to go with the course history narrative, it's not like he's going to be super highly owned. So if this comes through for you, I think it could be worth it. It's not something that I would do though. Feel the same way. Zach Johnson, if you want to allocate one tenth of your portfolio, and you're okay with that. I don't think he's going to play particularly well. But the guys that I would pivot to, do I feel much better about them? Honestly, not really. No. Since this course, you need to have great wedge and iron play. Will golfers being off the will golfers being off the tee being more prevalent than tee to green and or short game golfers? I don't quite understand what that means. But like, do you want ball striking more than anything, or like, do you still care about around the green? You, I, you always have to care about around the green, despite the fact that it might not play like when you go back and historically look into it, you don't want to be bad around the green because that will make sure that you don't win. <laughs> and tomorrow, if it is windy, it could be a little more important than usual. So it's not the end-all be-all. It's not a U.S. Open, but I still would like my guys to be able to work in and out of trouble. Do you think Pendrith is a good play with the layoff and the rib injury? He's been out for three months. I think it's borderline unnecessary, but he will be virtually unowned. Is my contemplation of Martin Trainer at the minimum price for GPP proof that I am crazy or reckless? <laughs> I would just want him at super long courses because he mashes it off the tee. Yeah, I mean, I Martin. If Martin Trainer ever does something, I will not be reaping the benefits. Hey, I, I he he came through for me at the Mexico Open. Is all I can say. Pat, can you please pronounce us name correctly? Thank you. Pat, appreciate you dumping on my question last week about players for a bogey-free round. The only bet I won last week at, at the Travelers. Like, how are we supposed to know that? <laughs> like, it is a fucking stupid question, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, if I knew that, I would just <laughs> cash in all the monies. Um, do you, I don't have anything to say there. Do you see any correlation between Valero and John Deere? Not really. They both no. have shitty fields. Yeah, but not this shitty. I mean, Spieth used to play in this one. He usually plays at Valero, so I guess that would make sense. I love when hardcore research pays off. That's the kind of week it is. What chalk talking points do you believe getting too much attention now? That won't matter by tea time. I mean, I don't really have anything like that. Like, you know who the chalk is consolidating around all exactly the same guys. Can you do enough research to pivot off of that and have enough conviction that, 
you know, your guy's a coin flip with the other one, but at one tenth the ownership. Like that's the move here. And that's, that, and that goes into this question. Final question for you, because I know you got to take off. Can you guys please explain building two V2 lineups? And I think that's a better question for you than me. So, what, yeah, like cascade building or 2v2 building, basically what you do, you build a core of, of golfers. And instead of rebuilding the entire lineup, you say, I want to get, you know, say I'm really close and it's just a couple guys. Well, take your four and then just start subbing two different guys out. So say you go with a, a 9K and a 7K in a lineup, you pull the nine and seven, and now you take two guys at 8K, same amount of money. And your other four are intact. So if you get those plays right, you have more than one lineup that really has the ability to be closely up top the leaderboard. Ben Raza at Jazz Raz DFS. He is betting Maximilian Kiefer this week on it's the true. Irish Open over on the DP World Tour. Stochastic.com is now where he's at. It's the same place he's always been, but it has a brand new name. Uh, let everyone know what's going on over there later this week before I jump into the rest of the chat. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll be doing our golf content as always. And of course, baseball in full swing. Everything's the same as it was at Osmo, just new names. So really, really excited. I love the community. Obviously love hopping on uh, here and talking about it. So if you want to come over, stochastic.com, and we will have our shows throughout the week, breaking down the John Deere Classic. All right. Thank you, Ben, for being on. Smash the like if you like Ben Raza for this episode and sub to Mayo Media Network and play in the Listener's League. Bruce Garnett, question marks? That's not even a real person. Let's move on. Is going Webb and Hadwin at the top going to and having to dip into the 6K is getting too cute for this week? Ben and I already walked through those lineup builds. I don't think it's too cute. If you think if you think that Hadwin and Webb are by far the best two here, I mean... It, there's not that much difference between the 6K guys and the 7K guys, especially the top end 6K guys and the top like bottom eights, high sevens. I don't hate that all that much. Is this going to be the least bet PGA tournament of the year? And is this the only tournament where a guy who's 400 to one can maybe win? I feel like JJ Spawn was like 250 to one. Michael Kim did win this event at like 600 to one, but you don't very rarely do you see a 400 to one winner on the PGA tour just because it, depending on the book that you bet at, the prices just don't get up that high. But yeah, it does feel like that type of tournament. If Hadwin or Webb have an off week and you know, one of these guys, like Michael Kim's performance here when he won was statistically the best performance by any golfer all season long on tour. And then he's been absolute dog shit ever since. Like he's never even come close. Not even like a fourth of what he did that week is how good he was. He was just on another level. Like Molinari went on to win the open championship the next week. Molinari was second in the field that week. And Molinari was in like peak Molinari form. He had won like after he won the open, he had won what three times in like six weeks or something like that. Couldn't happen. Couldn't stop the unstoppable Michael Kim that week. So, yeah, it's one of these courses where if you start riding a hot putter and you are dialed in with your approaches and those two things mesh up, uh, you're going to be pretty unstoppable. And with its wedges and seven-foot putting, that could legitimately be anyone in the field. Uh, how much is the max money comfortable leaving on the table with a DFS lineup this week? I don't know. I never really leave more than a thousand on the table. But I, when I set my parameters in my lineup builds, I always, I don't ever max anything out. I always leave either 100 and 200 minimum on the table. And I think that like 49, like 700, 800 is like the bottom end of what I do for those lineups. So that's how I'm going with it. Do you think a Thigala, Seabez, McNeely start is a leverage build? I actually do, especially with those three names in particular. Because, uh, you know, you try to do Webb and two of those guys. Then you have all the ownership of Webb. If CH3 is included, we know that he's going to be very popular as well. Those three guys are all like mid-level ownership. They'll be like, 
7th, 11th, and 15th in terms of ownership, which does give you a lot of leverage, I think. Adam Long seems like a good stat fitter. We think he makes a run this week. I don't know about a run, but I do think that he's a very solid DraftKings play, especially in three max, single entry, cash games. I think that if he gets to the weekend, he's going to help you out here. Cam Davis or the Todd Father from Parker? I mean, Todd Father's cursed, so I'll go with Cam Davis. Which players are good options that you think will play the Barbasol Championship as well for my season-long game? I don't have fucking clue who's playing in the Barbasol. Don't really care about the Barbasol. Pat, I cannot help but lull when you say, uh? And my wife gives me the stupidest look, making this a question. Keep it up? I can do that for you. Is John Hung going to be Pat Mayo's new version of Doug Gim in terms of always betting on him? Well, I bet on him once. That was last week. Didn't even bet him outright. Bet him top 30. He came through for us. So why wouldn't I go to John, huh? It's not so much that I love John, huh? I do like saying his name. That's more fun. He's the man of many question marks. But like, he's on a, like, a legit tee to green run right now. It, it dropped off last week because he had went like 8.9, 9.2, and I think he was like 5 tee to green last week, which is you know half, of, almost half of what he was doing. But he actually putted pretty well last week, and he's been putting really well inside 10 feet. Like anytime there's a short course, John Hunt has a chance because he's good with his wedges. He's really accurate off the tee. He hits the ball like as far as I do. But other than that, I just think he's a good fit. Chucky Three Sticks looking like a free space in DFS, even at high ownership. We just went over this that you can win with him. You could you can win without him. Uh, I don't think it's necessary to go with the chalk CH3 here. A cut maker for sure, but that high-end finish is just so rare from CH3. How many players under 10% or 5% is too many? I mean, depending on who you want to do, you can go six if you want to. You don't need to, but you can feasibly make a pretty, like, here, let me see if I can build a lineup of guys under 10% right now. Uh, let's see. Jason Day would be the kicker of this list. He'll come in at like six, seven, eight percent. So we'll go with him to start. Let's see, let me open up DraftKings here and build a lineup. So we got Jason Day. Uh, so Jason Day is our first man in here. I think Adam Long is going to be right around there. You could use Bez as well. I think Bez is going to be right around there. But we want to go for sure on this. Uh, Pan will be under. Champ will be under. Streelman will be under. Lahiri will be under. Poston might be under, but Lonto for sure is under. So you go Day, Pan, Champ, Streelman, Lahiri, Lonto. That lineup is all guys under 10% ownership and isn't significantly different than any other lineup that you're going to build. Like, I'm not on Lonto, Lahiri, or Streelman this week, but in the place of those guys, everyone is just using Shez, Huh, Shank, Svensson. Like, there's no real difference between any of those guys so if that's the way that you wanted to play it go play it that way do you guys trust jason day in a single entry i don't but that would be your key to leverage uh any live picks already did those at the top of the show we have our live bets i don't have any live picks for DraftKings. we talked through what the potential strategy might be but it's just really hard to find any information on what's going on on the live tour uh, if you can find that information you can leverage it and ben and i talked about how you can use that information to the best of your abilities i know some people have projections out there i just think go with the guys that you think are actually showing up to play like that's why i'm going with bryson i think bryson wants to win and i don't think that brooks does i don't think he gives a shit and i do think that Bryson does so bet on Bryson at 16 to 1 it's funny that Bryson I was watching his Instagram videos he looks healthy again which is great news that it's funny to me that he's 16 to 1 and these other guys are like priced way higher than him like Bryson's better than all these guys when Bryson's good he has been extremely unhealthy over the last little bit 
All right, smash the like button on the way out. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back once again, 9.15 a.m. Eastern time for the Scottish Open. Tambo will be back in studio next week. Then we'll have the Open Championship. Fill up the Listener's League while you're out there. Rate and review the podcast. If you're listening, coming up on the podcast is going to be a discussion that I had with Bobby Gomes about building contrarian best ball teams on DraftKings and why ownership might actually matter in those contests, along with all the recent news. Fantasy football once again today. Play DraftKings Best Ball if you haven't done it. There's plenty of contests at any stakes open in the lobby right now. And I want to dig into some news that's been floating around. Other guys who might be suspended, guys who retired. Some positional battles. I thought, who better to do this with than Bobby Gomes? What's going on, man? Uh, can I borrow a million bucks? <laughs> you can, Whenever you want, Pat. You're, I can loan it out to you whenever you need it. Yeah, ton of news going on. Uh, it's been a great week. Obviously, it's a little downtime within like the best ball streets. Still grinding it out though. Uh, ready to talk some football with you? Well, I, I see behind you. You have the. Uh, is that your certificate? Is that what they give you when you win a Millionaire Maker? They give you a certificate. So we got. So this was like way back when, 2014. They don't make these anymore, but <laughs> yeah, they they used to give these out. So. Yeah, it's nice. To, it's a little keepsake I have, I would say. I would. I mean, I'll take the money. I think that would be the good keepsake. The, the certificate's nice. Do they give you a novelty check of any kind? Oh, yeah. No, we got the check. It's just it's a happy Gilmore check for show, you know, but cash came too. Well, that's good. I, they paid you out. That's great. Play on DraftKings, everyone. This show is sponsored by DraftKings, so... I recommend drafting. Smash the like button while you're out there as well. And subscribe to the Mayo Media newsletter. I have some football stuff in it this week if you want to go check that out. It's specifically designed to week 17 correlation plays, easier schedules. Justin Herzig and I went through that on last week's show. If you hit the description, you get the full complement of the Pat Mayo Experience Fantasy Football Draft Package. Obviously, all free. Uh, and the links are down there. So go check those out and catch up on everything. Let's jump into it right away because when I was asking you for things to talk about you want to talk about Trey Lance and Jimmy G which I thought was somewhat surprising because I was just convinced that Trey Lance was just going to be the guy but now it looks like they might bring Jimmy G back at reduced money is this for certain that we're getting Trey Lance I think we're getting Trey Lance the issue is when you bring Jimmy G back it's like is there sh we have to question the leash on on Trey Lance which I think the leash should be there right like they want Trey Lance to be the guy Jimmy Garoppolo, in my opinion, kind of dusty. Um, but I just don't understand why you would bring him back if you want him to be a backup and a mentor. I think Trey Lance is the guy, though, but you still have to question what his leash will be if the performance isn't what the – if the 49ers believe the performance isn't up to par. But I think he definitely starts week one. Yeah, I think he starts week one, and you have to give him some sort of leash, I would imagine. Everyone should go to runthesims.com right now. If you just enter your email address, you for sure have access to the projection builder for the year. So every single team, you can go through that, set your own market shares, make your own projections. That service at runthesims.com is completely free to use. I like going around and messing around with what is going on in terms of, hey, let's see if we get you know, a full six, 17-game slate from Trey Lance. What's his rushing share? 
are going to be. How do you think this affects, if it is going to be all Trey Lance, let's go on that assumption. How does this affect the skill guys on San Francisco? Because I think Debo is in a very interesting situation at the moment. Like when we're thinking about ADP, when it comes down to like, where are you seeing him going? At least in early DraftKings best balls. Like, is he someone that you... See, going above where you have the threshold to take him, or do you think, like, sky's the limit here? Because I've had this conversation with Jeff Ratcliffe already that I would prefer he doesn't run the ball. Because if he doesn't run the ball, at least I have this target base where I know he's going to score the same every week. And he went on this crazy run of scoring a touchdown every single week. But if he doesn't do that last year, we're not considering him in the same light. And touchdowns can be pretty fickle. Yeah, Debo ran extremely hot. Obviously, when you're getting carries out of the backfield as a running back and start scoring at the rate he was, um, I think there's room for aggression. Obviously, you had the contract issues, stuff like that. He's trying to hold out or was trying to hold out. Um, I, right now, I have him as the seventh-ranked wide receiver in terms of just ADP. I don't really want to go, well, positional ADP. I, just, I, I think that's too hot for me. I'm going to kind of – be more off that I'm more interested in Brandon Ayuk. I think he's an interesting stack piece with uh, Trey Lance really came on towards the end of the year last year and you're getting value on Ayuk um, where I think you're paying a premium for Debo Samuel at the moment. Do, do you really, is Trey Lance one of the, obviously you want to correlate and you want to stack, but is Trey Lance one of the few quarterbacks that you don't necessarily have to stack everyone up with? Cause if he hits his massive upside, a lot of it has to be due to rushing. So for me, I usually look to passing props, um, like 200 yards. Can he, can he carry the 100-yard bonus on two receivers? Probably not. He has the rushing equity. Also has a good week 17 game, which I think is kind of flying under the radar, right? 49ers at Raiders, you're in a dome. If he really progresses throughout the season, I think he can be a good option there. And especially when you look to like how the, what these formats are, like having taking the rushing equity at QB, I think that's more of a premium now in today's DFS. So I like the upside of Trey Lance. I like the ceiling. Um, and I don't mind stacking him. My preferred option would be Ayuk. So, yeah, just looking at it right now, Trey Lance, in terms of the runthesims.com projections, have him at quarterback number 11 for the year. Does that sound about right if he plays all 17 games or do you think it's obviously upside is higher than that, but if we're just going to project someone out, does that sound about where he would fall? It sounds about where he would fall, but I think the upside, like you said, um, he could fall, he could finish like seven or eight, I would say. So I don't, maybe seven or eight is kind of hot. I'd say like, yeah, eight or nine in that range I, as, as a ceiling for possibly, which I think is good value at where you're currently getting him. Well, yeah, you're getting him basically around pick 90-ish. At least that's where, on average, that he's going. And that's somewhat behind, like, Kyler Murray, Burrow, Brady. I do think that he's probably a better candidate for my teams than someone like Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow does feel like he's going a bit overdrafted, but his stacks make a ton of sense. It's And he's obviously coming off the fantastic season. It's just fantasy-wise... I don't know. It seems like he needs to be so good in terms of touchdown rate in order to be up there where Lance doesn't even need to do that. Like Lance is a lot like Jalen Hurts. He can be the guy who has two fantasy points at halftime and have 40 after the break. Yeah, that stack is just extremely expensive to the Cincinnati side. It makes sense, obviously, right? Like everyone's on this week, like week 17, Bills at Bengals. Like that seems like a game like you'd want to stack up if you make it to that final thousand person tournament. Um, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. 
But when you go to that Bengals, what's interesting about the two teams, like if you look at it, this from a macro perspective, like the entire um, best ball season, the Bills value seems like the chalk, and then the Bengals seems like the high-end expensive plays. Um, if we talk about like the Bengals, you're playing a premium with Chase, Higgins, and Burrow. I don't know if that's the route I kind of want to go. I also think that would also be pretty popular. Like I feel like – I would rather um, take shots on other QBs that are a little bit lower and not pay a premium at QB or for the stack. So going to a guy like Trey Lance wouldn't be uh, like Trey Lance. IU that type of stack would be something that I'd have interest in relative to paying the premium on the bill side. The bills are going to be extreme value. Gabriel Davis seems like the chalk of what would be the entire slate last year. I think it was cam Akers, and he's tore his Achilles like, a week in a training camp or a couple days in a training camp. Um, I don't think I'd be more, I don't think I'd be too interested in getting to a guy like Davis um, just because, or just being underweight on a guy like Davis and the bills chalk would be a route I would take. Uh, that's pretty much, I, I know I kind of got off on a tangent there, but just kind of looking at, at those, that game in general and just looking at the Cincinnati Bengals and like the starting point being, week 17 it's crazy to just start from the back end of some of a situation like this but that's kind of like where i'm going well let's talk gabriel davis because i actually made a bet with herzig last week on the show just overall points this season brendan cooks versus gabe davis and i took the brendan cook side i just think that's a more reliable path to go down and you're getting him for cheaper at the moment although i can see some steam building for brendan cooks as we progress throughout the season i don't think that the texans will end up trading him if they didn't trade him last year i don't see the reason to trade him this year uh if that's the organizational philosophy that they're going with it just feels like the bus potential for gabriel davis is just too high for where he's going right now. I know that we're going to see, like the last time that we saw him, he was the best player on the field fantasy-wise. It was fantastic. Had you have taken Gabriel Davis in his four touchdowns. It just feels like there's going to be a lot of weeks where it's really easy to get phased out week to week in this Bills offense, which is with the myriad options that they have going on. What if it is a Josh Allen three rushing touchdown type game? You really think that we're going to see that those few games from Steph Diggs where he's just going to do nothing. Like how high have you seen Gabe Davis go in drafts? Right now I have him wide receiver 24 and I have cooks wide receiver 26. And I'd rather take the shot on cooks with the usage, uh, at wide receiver 26 over Gabe Davis, just because like we've seen, we've seen it last week, last year, sorry, uh, where Brandon Cooks was like a staple for a lot of these high-end cash game players on DK. Just with that usage rate, he really fits DK scoring. Gabe Davis is going to come in. He's going to be the chalk value. A lot of people steaming up Gabe Davis, and I would just rather go with someone who projects relatively similar, or I have projecting relatively similar. Uh, in a much less owner ownership clip uh, for Brandon Cook. So I'd definitely be on the Brandon Cook side. Could, could you actually build a Josh Allen stack and not have Gabriel Davis in it? Would that be a way to make your best ball team on DK a little bit different? Or is that just stupid? See, I think that construction is super interesting. Uh, whether you go Diggs and Allen, because obviously Diggs is usage rate in that offense. He Last year was kind of down. Uh, but now you're taking away Beasley, you're taking away Sanders. People may be a little hesitant to go to Diggs, so I don't mind that stack. Also, like Jameson Crowder, who you can get very late, he really fits the PPR scoring on DraftKings. Dawson Knox is it, but Dawson Knox is another chalk value piece. Um, 
I, where I, I'd probably go to Dalton Schultz over Dawson Knox, but I think Schultz might be, I don't know. They're, they're right in the same range, but I think Dawson Knox probably get more steamed up as we kind of move towards uh, the middle of the summer. But yeah, I, my, my preference would be going to Diggs and Allen because I think that would give you a differentiated construction and also like Crowder late and James Cook for that matter. I think James Cook's going to be an absolute stud. And if James Cook, the main thing that everyone projects with him coming in is he's going to be so involved in the receiving game, he makes a lot of sense to push with Josh Allen. Do you think we've hit the peak of Gabe Davis ADP, Gabe Davis buzz, and now it's going to go back a little bit? Like the pushback is finally going to happen, or does this just keep going out of control? I think it's the markets are just going to keep going out of control, and that's why I think taking the leverage with a stack, like if you if you draft digs, you just stack them with Josh Allen is very interesting to me. Hmm. It's strange because it kind of uh, it could regress. Yeah, it could. But I'm just trying to think like if for best ball formats, especially, and now all the value is baked at it. If he's going to pick like 47, 48, 49, whatever it is. But, and this is sort of the reason that I kind of stipulated the bet with Justin of Cook's total points versus Gabe Davis total points that it just feels like there's going to be huge Gabriel Davis weeks. And for best ball, maybe that's enough, especially if they come later in the year when the field gets condensed, but it does feel like for a guy that you're taking so highly that there's going to be a lot of weeks that he doesn't make the optimal for your team. No, that's what I'm saying. So differentiating it and taking a digs if you're building the Bills stack, I think makes a ton of sense. Also taking the shot on James Cook, where James Cook, like if you're stacking him up, PPR running back fits the, fits the DraftKings scoring. Very like high variance player. Like I think he could be pretty much rookie of the year uh, in that offense. So I'm very high on him. Um, and just like the explosive plays that he, he offers. I don't know. I don't I, like if you're going back to like the Cooks versus Gabriel Davis debate, I would just, I would just, I think, I think Cooks is where my money would be. Um, even though obviously Gabriel Davis could have the spike weeks, but then there's going to be weeks where Diggs is going to get that target share. Do you have a obviously in season long that can sink you, but in best ball you might have ways to overcome that. Like, do you have a preference of a player in best ball? Of do you want you like do you want the spike week guy and then pray that you have enough bench depth in order to make up for the down weeks and pray that the spikes come in week 15, 16, and 17 when it matters the most? I like the vol I like the volatile player, like, but I also like guys who fit the scoring. So for DK especially, like I'm just trying to build my best ball teams pretty much like a high stakes GPP. So it's pretty much a cash game, uh high tournament hybrid, um, where I'm correlating and Basically, when I'm doing that, uh, yeah, I like the high variance guys. I like those receivers, but I also like to have some sort of a floor. That's why with Cooks, the usage is so concentrated where – and he can also have those spike weeks. Like, it isn't like Brandon Cooks can't take one to the house for 50 or 60 yards anymore. You know what I mean? Like, so that's I, that's where I kind of side with the Cooks over Davis. Terry McLaurin is sitting out minicamp. I wouldn't be too concerned about that. There's a lot of guys who are sitting out minicamp. And word out of Washington now is that Logan Thomas is likely to begin the year on the pup list. We might not get him right away. Do you have any interest in this Washington offense? Because I've heard a lot of people be like, yeah, Carson Wentz, big upgrade at quarterback. And I started thinking, is Carson Wentz a big upgrade at quarterback? Is this really going to make that big of a difference for anyone? 
Yeah, so for me, it doesn't make that much of a difference. I don't think I'm going to be on much of these Washington guys. I would have had interest in Logan Thomas, but that knee injury, like it was an AC, it was more than just an ACL tear, as ACL, MCL, very tough knee injury uh, for Logan Thomas. But in terms of the Terry McLaurin situation, I, I don't have much interest. Um, yeah, I, I just don't. When you can get guys that are not tied to Carson Wentz, it's usually usually a plus. So. I'm just trying to find out where where the value is going to be on that team because it did appear like Antonio Gibson was going to be the guy and then because McKissick was signing with the Bills. Then McKissick didn't sign with the Bills. McKissick comes back. Right now, his ADP, Antonio Gibson, has been dropping pretty far. Like, Would you still take the chance on him in, I guess, what would be the sixth round, seventh round on Antonio Gibson at this point that, oh, no, this was all just smoke the entire time. Antonio Gibson's a 20-touch-per-game player. I don't think I would take the chance, but I think it is value. I'm just staring clear of like this Washington office offense in general. Um, I think McKissick could still eat in. It's just in the past, Carson Wentz hasn't been so keen to dump it off to the running back as much as uh, we've seen McKissick be uh, basically utilized. Obviously Naeem Hines last year, but it was more, I, I, I just don't really I question Carson Wentz and I question his aptitude to basically utilize a running back within an offense. So I guess that would be a bump to Gibson and a downgrade to McKissick, but McKissick's still there and we really can't project out how they're going to, how Carson Wentz is going to utilize his RB in a new offense. I think that's kind of galaxy branding it too at the same time. So I don't know. I'm just totally off this offense. Are there other teams like that where you're just like, fuck it. Like, I, I don't want any part of this. I kind of went over this with like cheap stacks that are unreliable and probably not any good. But in the example that I brought up was Seattle, not so much because Seattle's good. They're not. But if their defense shakes out to be kind of bad, they may just be forced to throw a ton. And obviously we don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be at this point, whether it's Locke or Gino, or they trade for Baker, trade for Jimmy G, whoever might end up coming in to Seattle. But you're going to find very few offenses that are as concentrated as Seattle projects to be. Even with DK sitting out minicamp, even Pete Carroll's like, yeah, guys do this. Like, I wouldn't worry about that. But you have DK, you have Lockett, and you have Noah Fant. That seems to be the blueprint for their passing game. There are very few teams you can point to where it's three guys and that's it. Yeah, the usage is super concentrated. Noah Fant late. Like, I don't hate taking a shot on Noah Fant. I wouldn't be, like, trying to get too many Seattle guys in them, into my teams, but I think with at Noah Fant's current ADP, he makes sense. And then Metcalf, like, he's a target monster. People aren't going to draft him. I have no problem being on him. I just wouldn't draft usually the two of them together it'd probably be one or the other for me and i'm not trying to stack them i'm just banking on the usage within the offense grob gronkowski has retired from the nfl for the second time chances are this sticks by week eight. Oh, i'd say less than 50 i think i i, I that's just like the Patriots Gronkowski fan in me. It is the second time retiring, so he's definitely put some thought into this. But I, I think he'll be back by week eight. Maybe that's a bad take, but I think he'll be back. It just seems strange that no one is buying this retirement whatsoever. Is is there a contract stipulation like with the Bucks, like that if he plays this year, he has to? Is is he like? 
on for 2023 as well. Maybe he's trying to get out of that and then just trying to follow Tom wherever Tom goes in 2023, maybe. Could be. I, I just, I'm just trying to think around it. Or maybe I, he's just done. Maybe he's done, or maybe he just doesn't want to go to mini camp and this entire That's- team is geared towards the Super Bowl. They can probably get to the playoffs without him. They'll probably need him to win the Super Bowl. And maybe it's just all all unspoken under the table types of agreements. Being like, look, just take the first three months off and come back. No big like the old Roger Clemens, where it's like, Yeah, yeah, don't don't worry, you don't have to pitch till June, and uh, that'll be fine then. <laughs> No, yeah, that, I, I could definitely see it being that way. But why just make the retirement announcement? Can you just say you're injured or maybe actually you probably couldn't do that with the NFL. So, yeah, maybe the retirement announcement is, uh, yeah, it could be the reason why he decided to do that. So I saw the news break and then everyone's like, oh, my God, I drafted so much Rob Gronkowski. That sucks. If you, that's one of the <laughs> perils of doing the early drafts is that your guys, like you mentioned, Cam Akers might blow his Achilles or Rob Gronkowski might randomly retire uh, after you've put him on 60% of your best ball team. Shit happens. You have to live with it. You move on from it. But now we look at the tight end core for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Cameron Brait is like the clear one that stands out. He had all the red zone targets last year. Didn't really come to fruition on anything. Is he someone that you would now target in drafts, or is he a player who people just project to step into this Gronk role, see his role expand even more? There's no Chris Godwin around. It's going to be a great at least first six to eight weeks for Cameron Brait. Or is he just Cameron Brayton? That could be anyone on this roster who just randomly gets on the field as a tight end. If I was taking him, I'd probably take him as a flyer tight end. But if you look at his stat line last year, I think the highest, it was like three for 26 was his best stat line. So that's kind of, it's kind of rough. But now Gronk's out of the, basically out of the situation. And Tom Brady, it is a Tom Brady tight end. So I'd rather take a shot on Cameron Brayton than a tight end from a quarter, like, a quarterback, a, a team that wasn't basically quarterback by Tom Brady. So if you're taking a flyer shot at, t- at the tight end possession, I don't mind Cameron Bray. The, the issue now becomes is you were able to get him late, but now with this Gronk news and people wanting to stack with Brady and looking for the quote-unquote cheaper pieces, that his ADP is just going to get pushed up and up and up and up. It's not going to be unbuyable but it's no longer cheap at the same time it's not a last round flyer on Cameron Bray you might have to invest like a 14th round pick here yeah so that that is an issue so if it gets to a point where I it isn't value anymore then I I would not be uh, taking a shot on Bray which I think would definitely be the case once the market suggests well the guy that everyone's taking the shot on on Tampa Bay is someone who's never scored more than four career touchdowns in the seasons Russell Gage Chris Godwin's hurt we don't know about Mike Evans and a lot of like pushback on his ability to be like the number one wide receiver in fantasy football I kind of agree with people that I don't think that he is going to be the number one receiver in fantasy football and he probably doesn't have that opportunity that doesn't mean he can't be the number four best receiver in fantasy football based on his profile. And if everyone just thinks that these Gronk red zone targets are immediately just going to go to other tight ends, they may be mistaken when they see big body Mike Evans out there in the end zone, just catching fade passes from Brady the entire time. I really like Mike Evans. I probably won't be talked off of that, but this Russell Gage stuff, it's a lot like the Gabe Davis stuff where he was a reasonable price, but now it just keeps going up and up and up and up. Do you like Russell Gage? I like Gage, but I think he made a better case for Evans. Like, I think for Evans now, he's going to see those Gronk red zone targets. 
And that's what I want. I want touchdowns. And Evans obviously gives you the receptions. So I'd be more privy to like maybe taking more Evans than I currently have um, when everyone kind of jumps to Gage. I don't think Gage is a bad play. I think he'll fit fine in the offense. But I think that Evans for me would be the guy that I'm probably going to bump my exposure on. Like I know that they signed him for the good price. It's the better, best situation Gage has ever been in. Gage is a good player. But it's not a non-zero chance if all these guys make the team, whether it be Scotty Miller, Brashad Perriman, Tyler Johnson, sideshow Cyril Grayson. He's still currently on the roster. We'll see if he makes the team. But one of those guys could outscore Russell Gage. Like That's not out of the realm of possibility. So, yeah, it's interesting, too, because Russell Gage, Gage is currently wide receiver 39. You have DeAndre Hopkins, wide receiver 37. Hunter Renfro, wide receiver 40. Brandon Ayu, wide receiver 41. Christian Kirk, wide receiver 42. If all the ownership's going to kind of condense on Gage, going other places for me would just be the route I would take. And like you said, you do have Scotty Miller. You do have Tyler Johnson. There are other ancillary pieces there that could eat in, eat in the Gage. Um yeah, so for me, my favorite pick out of Tampa Bay right now would be Mike Evans. Uh, and I think I'll be a little less on Gage because of just who's around him uh, at his current ADP. How do you feel about Chris Godwin? How do you assess that of not necessarily knowing when exactly he's going to be 100%, how they're going to work him in? Like His ADP is still pretty high at the moment. Like he's going around, Gabriel Davis is going slightly ahead of him now, but he's still going ahead of someone we just talked about, like Brennan Cooks. But we know what the obvious upside is with Godwin when he's right. It's just how much draft capital do you want to put in to Chris Godwin right now at this high of a price, not knowing exactly when he's going to be at full strength? So I think we can leverage the unknown if the market's going to regress, which I think it is going to do. I'm going to have more Godwin just because we're playing for week 15 through 17. I don't really care about one weeks, one, two, or three. I think my teams can kind of get through um, those type of situations, but I want to win. And Chris Godwin uh, in, in the DraftKings format, just PPR wise is going to be an absolute monster for this team when healthy. So I have no issue taking Godwin. And I think he'll, he'll be a value once the markets kind of uh, reassess and, he's probably going to drop down in terms of ADP and I'm fine with that because I'll get him at value. And it'll be correlated to with Russell Gage going up. I would expect because right now it's ADP 55 for Chris Godwin, ADP number 83 for Russell Gage. I think you're going to see the gap close between those two, especially over the next month or so. And if we don't get any sort of rumor on Godwin and what the timetable is going to be for him, because I think people look at it and say, no Gronk, no Godwin, and Antonio Brown is gone. All those targets are going to Russell Gage, which isn't true. But that's how people think. Yeah, all those targets people think you're going to go to gauge and I'll just pivot to Godwin or Evans for that matter. The Deshaun Watson news came out that he settled most of the cases against him. However, it has also been reported that this is going to have nothing to do with the suspension that he's likely to receive from the NFL. Do you have any particular take on how to assess Watson when it comes to a pure fantasy perspective? Not necessarily even drafting him, but the pieces that go around him. Because if Baker's on his way out, Watson's not playing, like how effective is Amari Cooper if Jacoby Brissett is the quarterback? Yeah, so for me, it would be Nick Chubb from this Cleveland offense, and that's literally about it. Like, I don't have interest in Amari just because of the uncertainty with Deshaun. 
Um, also, if Baker were to stay, like I have no interest in Baker being a quarterback to a receiver, I'm going to spend a high draft capital on like, just not worth it for me. Um, and then the situation with Deshaun, if he plays or if he, it's so hypothetical, I just, I'm just, to, it, this is another team. Like I'm totally off outside of like some Nick Chubb. Uh, that's pretty much it for me. So Watson doesn't fit the theory of let's try to leverage the unknown on this and maybe try to get lucky with the situation. Or do we kind of know what's going to happen? Likely eight to 12 game suspension, maybe a year and you can be left holding the bag with nothing on your rosters. I think we kind of know. So uh, it's not as much as of an unknown uh, situation as we think. So I'm, it's just, I don't want to be left holding the bag. Okay. Traylon Burks, the trade A.J. Brown from Tennessee. They bring in Robert Woods, and then, you know, Burks. So Burks is going to light it up. Everyone needs to draft Burks. Now the reports are coming out. He's working as the number three wide receiver on the team behind Nick Westbrook-Ikina and Robert Woods at this point. Austin Hooper is probably going to be somewhat of a target magnet here when Derrick Henry isn't carrying the ball. Is this... I mean, we've seen this play out a couple of times. This is the same report we saw about Justin Jefferson, his rookie year in Minnesota, that he was behind BC Johnson on the depth chart and Adam Thielen. And then we had all the Jamar Chase smoke last year. It's like, oh, the guy sucks. He's no good in the preseason. Is this now a buying opportunity on Burks? Or are you legitimately concerned? I've had no interest in Burks just because I didn't think that he would step in and be A.J. Brown. Um, and that's where he was being drafted. And it, I just didn't see that situation coming to fruition. The NFL is not like the NBA. Rookies don't just step in. They kind of have to work and roll, earn their role. Um, I don't have much Traylon Burks. I, I, I doubt I have any, actually. So for me, I haven't been like too interested in the situation. I'd rather take another receiver in that range. Uh, Robert Woods, I think, is interesting if everyone's going to kind of go to Burks. He's got his ADP is obviously later and. He could end up being the number one there. Uh, he's the veteran. That's how it kind of works out sometimes with these NFL teams. Yeah, and Robert Woods is a great get for Tennessee from a real-life football perspective with Robert Woods, even coming back off the injury, still one of the premier perimeter run blockers at receiver and when you're a team that wants to run the ball as much as Tennessee that's a very logical fit the guy is never coming off the field and if you're just always on the field and you're in there for even the play action with running off Derrick Henry you're probably going to be open a whole lot of the time so I like Robert Woods as well I think you're going to see more people jump on the Robert Woods train as we go through I, I do want to talk about AJ Brown a little bit though because it feels like Devonta Smith in the wake of AJ Brown going to Philadelphia has been kind of pushed out of sight out of mind in a lot of places like ADP 70 for Devonta Smith 25 for AJ Brown 63 for Jalen Hurts like I mean are, are we crazy enough to think that Jalen Hurts can't be the number one quarterback this year I know everyone has Josh Allen penciled in as QB1 but why can't it be Jalen Hurts I think it could be Jalen Hurts, especially in this offense. It's funny that Devontae Smith has kind of gone by the wayside just with the big play upside that he offers. And he's showed rapport with Jalen Hurts. A.J. Brown's going to step in. He's going to be the new piece in that offense. He's obviously going to be someone the coaching staff draws plays up for. I don't mind getting value on Devontae Smith and Jalen Hurts stacks rather than taking the A.J. Brown piece, which I think a lot of people are going to gravitate to. I, I build very contrarian, so this is kind of the way, it's kind of thoughts that I have. Um, if the markets are showing love to a certain situation and hypothetically the outcome or range of outcomes isn't 
isn't it doesn't really quantify to the markets the steam the a situation is receiving then i'll i'll go the other way so i don't mind Devonte smith i think you're getting value at him for him at his current adp um and jalen hurts as qb1 like yeah he definitely has the potential with the rushing equity um i don't know if i'd say qb1 but i could see him being Q, within the top five like He's, right now he's currently eight. He could I could see him jumping up to five three from three to five, I think, in terms of uh like QB three or QB five. So I don't mind taking the shot on Jalen Hurts at all, especially with the rushing equity. Well, with with a, the stuff that comes along with the rushing equity are the touchdowns, the rushing touchdowns that come along with it. So if he has he slightly improves in the passing game and improves his numbers there just even a little bit and then gets very lucky in terms of touchdown upside this year. Like we've, we've seen it happen with Cam Newton over the years where one year he'll rush for 10 touchdowns and the year before that he had rushed for one. Everyone's like, oh, well, he doesn't rush for touchdowns anymore. But some of this stuff is so fickle when you're rushing the ball near the goal line. It's like Josh Allen. Josh Allen might have the exact same amount of red zone rushing attempts in the regular season this year, but score 75% fewer touchdowns because that's just the way that it turns out in some of these situations where Hertz could go the other way. It would have to be a situation like that, I think, where you could propel him up to QB1. He'd probably have to beat Kyler and Lamar to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, I, but I, I, I am dubious about Kyler running. I really am. Because he runs for a bit, he gets somewhat nicked up, then doesn't run anymore. Lamar's always going to run. That's just a part of yeah. his game. But Kyler seems like he they really try to hold him back from the rushing attack outside like the first five weeks of the season. Yeah, I worry about Kyler and going forward in the NFL just with the height issues and then obviously his, his slightest stature. Has a very interesting Week 17 matchup, Kyler does. Cardinals at Falcons in a dome. Hopkins, you're getting at a value. I know I'm just kind of jumping from uh, the Jalen Hurts conversation to basically if Jalen Hurts could be a QB1 or Kyler Murray. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I like I think Jalen Hurts could uh, outscore Kyler Murray. I think he could get, if he's QB6, currently Kyler Murray's QB5. I don't know. Yeah, he could get to QB1 with the rushing equity. Uh, he'd have to beat Allen, Mahomes, and Herbert. But, yeah, I don't see – it's in the range of possibilities. He can definitely he can definitely leapfrog Lamar and Kyler, I think. It, it feels like people are kind of off Herbert because coming into the draft season, it was like, oh, Herbert, Chargers, let's go. And then since, it's kind of dipped back a little bit. I, I don't know why people have soured on the Chargers so much where they're not like this elite offense anymore and everyone needs to have Herbert stacks on their teams and they've kind of gone other directions. Did it just become a thing that everyone did at the very beginning and now it's like, yeah, well, I've done that. I need to put my exposure somewhere else now. Like, is there a reason behind it? I think the Chargers stacking options aren't as sexy. Like Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Chase, I'd rather have Chase or T. Higgins. I'd rather have Diggs or Gabriel Davis. And I think that's why Herbert's kind of fallen by the wayside. But I love Herbert. I think he's a great real-life QB. He's a great fantasy QB. You get a great Week 17 matchup. That seems to be the thing. Week 17, Rams at Chargers. Uh, I could see that total being around like 53. So if if they're going to go undervalued, um, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Herbert, I, I don't mind. I don't see why getting to the Chargers would be a bad idea. Also, Austin Eckler offense is just great in general. So I could see Herbert finishing QB one. Like, why not? QB one. It will he run it? Will, will 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 he run enough for that? He does run. 
I just it, QB one probably a hot take, but I could you see Herbert versus Mahomes? Who would you who would you take Herbert versus Mahomes? I would take Mahomes, but I I don't think those prices are comparable at the moment, are they? Because it seems like Herbert has fallen back a bit. I think I would just take whoever goes later, and that would be Herbert at the moment. Current ADP for Herbert is forty four. Uh, wait, sorry. Uh, current ADP is forty. They're right around the same ADP. This is going off four or four right now. So I don't know. I I don't hate Herbert. I I'm I'm not the biggest Mahomes guy. I know Mahomes is a stud, but he's he I, he falls by the wayside for me in terms of uh, QB play. As crazy as that sounds, I'm more on Allen, Burrow, Herbert, Stafford, Brady. I I just rather the piece. I like the pieces around them better. Well, I think yeah. if you if you go with yeah. if you go with Herbert to build around him is just way more expensive because you have Eckler who's going in the top 10 picks. And even though there's been, you know, people don't love the sexiness of Keenan Allen or Mike Williams. It's not like those guys are going low at all. Where if yeah. you, if you go with Mahomes and you can get it right with Kansas city of who the guys are going to be outside of Kelsey, everyone else is a pretty reasonable price tag. Yeah. Everyone else is a, is a pretty reasonable price tag. It's just, I, for me, I think I'd prefer going the Herbert route. I, I just don't love the, I know Juju is getting steamed up. I know Ben is someone that he obviously was struggling. I just don't think that the weapons that they have outside of Kelsey are guys that I'm going to target. The one Kansas city option that I really like on DK and I've been stashing a bunch of prior to them re-signing him was Jarek McKinnon, just because of how the DK scoring system works. Um, but it definitely it'd probably be Kelsey and McKinnon for me out of the Kansas City offense. I understand that this team's going to put up a ton of points. I, I get it. It's a Mahomes-led offense, but I'm less than the market in terms of like my love for uh, Casey. And yeah, you're paying a little bit more for Keenan and Mike um, in Herbert stacks, but I think I prefer the Chargers side. If you were to take another piece of the Chargers stack, one of the either a tight end or a tertiary receiver would it be josh palmer would it be gerald everett would it be parham guyton do you have a preference between any of those guys josh josh palmer has been working in as a as the wide receiver three so he'd probably be the guy to have the most interest in uh gerald everett i don't hate it as, as well i think gerald everett's a really good player um so i don't mind him yeah they have weapons all this team is absolutely loaded uh on the offensive side of the football so I don't mind any of these chargers. I think those guys are quality that could, like could become quality value pieces in an offense that's going to be top five in the league. So I if, don't, I don't mind those guys. If you were to do it on Kansas city, who do you think the right people after Kelsey would be to pair with Mahomes? Like I, I am not in on Juju, so it wouldn't be Juju for me. I think his cost is just way too high at pick number 58 where he's going yeah, at the moment. Insane. But then you have Scott, you have Sky Moore, and you have Marcus Valdez. No one wants a piece of Marcus Valdez Scantling, who I know what his skill set, at least is perceived to be, by what he did in Green Bay. But maybe he's just not necessarily a different player. But maybe the Chiefs utilize him a bit differently, and he's like, like pick a hundred. He seems like a very good piece to go with Mahomes, even over Sky Moore. Yeah, I would prefer MVS to Sky Moore. Uh, like I said. Um, Juju, I'm I'm down on Juju. Kelsey, I like I like Kelsey. He's obviously the usage monster. Uh, Jarek, like I said, Jarek on PPR formats, you get him very late. Uh, 
he'd probably be the fourth for he'd probably be behind sky more but obviously just I, w- I would take him later on just because he fits the scoring system but yeah mvs could do well in this offense based on his skill set i just have a bad taste in my mouth for MVS that could be recency bias that could come back to bite me with how Kansas city decides to utilize him. Maybe it's different than how he was utilized in green Bay. Uh, and he did show promise later on in the year uh, in green Bay. So maybe he's evolving and maybe Mahomes will just help him evolve and help him make that transition into a quality NFL player. So you have to think about those things. Let's go to the Jets because Brees Hall continues to be pumped up as a top 20 running back right now. And the reports out of Jets camp is that Hall is going to be the Batman to uh, Michael Carter's Robin. And uh, ADP is reflecting that right now. I talked about this with Jake Seeley about a month ago when we were ranking all of the rookie running backs. And yeah, Hall seems like he has a great situation on his hands. But I don't know if I... I think people might be a bit over their skis with how good this Jets offense is going to be. Do we really want a Jets running back inside the top 20 when you could have a guy who was good for them last year, already knows the system, has the familiarity, and might actually work a lot in the passing game as well? Like, It's not to take away from Hall. I know they spent draft capital on him, but it wouldn't be the first time that we've seen a team spend draft capital on a running back and then maybe not use him as much as that draft capital would dictate. Yeah, it's a wait and see thing for me. This Jets offense, like, I think it's getting steamed up, like you said. Um, they had a great draft, obviously. But it just comes down to do I want Jets players on my uh, on my roster? Right now, I'm not – I don't have any Brees Hall. I know it just doesn't seem like – even Michael, Michael Carter, like I, I don't see the reasoning to take them. I'd be more interested in the wide receivers, um, whether it's more – who like, I don't know, even Zach Wilson wide receiver. I just think Zach Wilson's going to take a step forward. I don't think it's going to be a great step forward, but Elijah Moore, I, I think is someone I'd have in, somewhat interest in. Uh, he'd probably be like the only Jets uh, receiver outside of Garrett Wilson. Uh, I, I love Garrett Wilson. I think he's going to be fantastic, but I think that a lot of people are going to go to Garrett Wilson when you could just go to Moore. Um So those would be the two Jets that I have the most interest in and not really on the Brees Hall train as of right now. There are reports that Cam Akers is now back to 100% after his horrible efficiency returning very quickly from an Achilles injury last winter during the playoffs. I don't think I can really hold that against him. The guy came back from an Achilles injury and didn't look like he was 100%. Big fucking shocker. But now he has time to the offseason to continue to rehab. And if he truly is back at 100%, he's going at pick number 45 right now. Before he blew out his Achilles in drafts last season, how high was he going? He was going extremely high. Like, he was he was the value running back that everyone was taking, kind of like um, the Gabe Davis of this year. I, I For me, if, like, Gabe Davis has been the chalk this year, I think Cam Akers would have been the chalk running back last year had he not – hurt his towards ACL that's why it's so hard to like play these chalk pieces because so many things can happen in the timeline that we're trying to project out uh I don't hate Cam Davis because I think so many people are uber bullish on this passing game Allen Robinson Cooper Cup Stafford and Cam Akers sorry Cam like I I don't think I think that Cam Akers is someone that can kind of leverage that so He's someone I have interested in that offense. Daryl Henderson's another one. Um, 
I think Cam Akers is definitely out of value at this point. So he's someone I'm interested in uh, in on getting on my best ball teams. See, I like Cam Akers a lot in this spot. He's going at approximately the same ADP as Allen Robinson is, which just seems insane to me. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I that's why I think Cam Akers is a very good play. People are going to go – like the passing game is for, for uh, the Rams is so – like – it's extremely hyped. So take going to the running game where they, that's kind of been like within the 10 yard line, they're one of the most efficient teams running the football. So I don't mind taking a shot on a guy like Cam Akers for that reason alone, when everyone's kind of looking at the passing game. And reports at a Jags camp. There's some pretty hilarious reports this time of year. Like I saw one that uh, one was, Cole Komet could see more red zone targets. That was an actual report that came out. Really, he could. That would be great news for Cole Komet if he could see more red zone targets. Will he? Oh, we don't know about that, but he could see them. This one is James Robinson could be the three down back once he returns from his injury, which we don't know when he's going to return from his injury or not. It seems like this sort of news just pushes down the stock of Travis Etienne, and that's where I still think I want to be on the, you talk about the DraftKings scoring being set up. We have no idea what ATN is going to be as an NFL option, whether it's going to be a full-time running back, whether it's going to be half running back, half slot receiver. How is he going to be utilized as distribution between passing and catching? But it does seem like catching is going to be a huge part of his game, doesn't it? No, it definitely does. And they're going to utilize him like this. They're t- it's total turnover from the previous administ like, the whole coaching staff that they had going on there, absolute nightmare last year in Jacksonville. So I think they're going to, they're going to try to right their wrong, so to speak, and utilizing ETN, it would be the first way to do that. Right. So taking ETN, if you're getting, if this James Robinson news guys kind of makes the market um, a little bit less bullish on him and you, you're able to get him at, at somewhat of a value, I think he's a guy that you take a shot on. Well, the only reason I bring it up, because Robinson's going at pick number 168 right now, and Etienne's going at 43, sorry, pick number 44, which is one spot before Cam Akers, which I thought was really surprising. I'd rather have Cam Akers just straight up, rather have Cam Akers and take that upside. Not that I'm down on Etienne, maybe it's just I'm too high on Cam Akers, and I do think that the market is way below where you need to be on him right now for what the upside was. If he was a top 10 pick last year and he got hurt, even when he came back for the first few weeks, it's like, oh, yeah, it's, yeah they're going to mix him in. It's like, no, let's give Cam Akers the ball over and over and over. He is one of the few guys that I can see with a plus 75% snap share out of backfields. And if you're playing in that offense, it seems like a very valuable piece to your fantasy roster to have the running back and the goal line back on the team that could score the most touchdowns in football. Just call me crazy. That's how I feel about it. But this ETN thing, probably not as good of an offense, obviously. But if he can make it up through the receiving game, that would be huge. I would like to see him drop. 10 like basically around if i can get him around later and i think that this james robinson news could push him down then i could think about it that way but there's all this talk about like dead zone at running back this is where you pick up your stacks rounds four five and six to pair with your quarterback your fourth and fifth wide receivers do you buy into the fact that there truly is a running back dead zone or has the evolution of how these drafts go and receivers being so important just push better running backs down the board now. I do buy into the fact that I think there's a running back dead zone and getting him 10 picks later relative to in that acres slot and David Montgomery, who I'm pretty high on. I know Brees Hall's in there too. 
I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather take the shot there. Um, yeah, I, is there a dead zone? Of course. I, I, I just, for me, I, I just take the best player available and try to make the most efficient picks that I possibly can. Um, if this does knock ETN down, then I'll weigh it and think if I want to take a shot on him, I think I would in this scenario. Uh, Cam Akers, though, like, is he – I'm just trying to figure out, like, I, I don't think he's getting nearly – maybe I could be wrong and just misjudging the market, but I I would be more bullish on Cam Akers uh, in this – in this slot right here, just because of um, last season and just kind of how things shook out. I, I think you just leverage some sort of recency bias relative to the best ball streets and hope for the best. And he's in a really good spot in that Rams offense. It just strikes me as odd that there's almost a 35 pick gap between where he was going last year and where he's going yeah. this year. And the only difference is, I mean, he had a serious injury. He did come back and he wasn't as good. Like I said, as expected returning in that short of a timetable, but like that gap just doesn't make sense to me where you have other guys coming off of serious injuries. And they're just like, listen, I know Christian McCaffrey's the best fantasy player there is. And you, know, you can take him at number one. No one's going to scoff at that. But the guy's been banged up each of the past two years. Hasn't hurt his ADP at all. We know what Akers can do. Yet there's like, a, I mean, it's not even really a tax. Like people are taxing him because he missed last year, which is, I don't know, it just seems really strange to me. It's because everyone's on this passing game. Everyone's on Cub. Everyone's on Robinson. Everyone's on Stafford. And that's where you get a little, a little leverage taking that running back. So. I don't, I don't mind taking acres if you're getting that much of a discount relative to last season. Let's close with this because you've brought it up a few times and I don't think that people necessarily understand why this is important. I think they can conceptually understand why ownership in DraftKings best ball would be important, but why would there ever be a need? Cause this is, you know, this is a season long tournament. Your lineup is never going to be duped and that's probably true, but can you explain to people why ownership matters in DraftKings best ball and maybe getting off of a chalky guy could be a huge leverage spot, even in a season long format. Yeah. Just because a guy you're taking, it's so it's such a long year to project out. And if a guy's going to be extremely steamed up, so many things can happen. And if he's going to be like 30% owned and you can leverage that and you eliminate 30% of the field. Like we don't root for injuries, but things can happen. Utilization within offense can change within an offense can change. And not, it's very hard to like basically say this guy, like anyone can say, Oh, he's a good player. But the, if the utilization, if anything can go wrong. So to, if you can eliminate a certain part of the field, um, and I think you take that opportunity when you can. And I think that's just goes for any type of DFS or best ball for just any type of format within um, these, like these tournament structures for daily fantasy sports or best ball or whatever. Well, uh, I, I feel like that was a horrible way of kind of giving an explanation. But. Well, let's try to round it out this way. Like, obviously he's going to be a hundred percent drafted in every league that drafts. Someone's going to draft Gabriel Davis, but what you're talking about is yeah. playing against the people either in a 20 max or 150, whatever it might be that they're going to own 30 to 40%. Like he is a target of a lot of people who are, yeah. And you're and you're more concerned. I'm assuming as someone who's going to max out all these contests, you're far more concerned with the people that are also maxing it out, not the guy who's throwing in a team into something like this. 
So I think the majority of people that are maxing out this contest are probably going to be under on game. Just if you look at how 150 maxers play, like usually the chalk, unless it's definitively good chalk, the majority of them are to, the good ones, at least are taking an underweight stance. Um, and just to project that out, like that's just a single game DFS late. Like this is a 17 game season. So being, being under on the chalkiest play, I think is the best strategy. Um, but I, I could be proved wrong, right? Like this is a new kind of format. It's only been really four years um, doing basketball. There's a, a couple, but just like, any, that's just the way I'm kind of my, my brain works. So that's kind of how I'm doing it. Uh, but I could like, it could things like Gabe Davis could have a tremendous season. Like he's a great play, you know what I mean? But just taking the off chance that he might not, you kind of leverage the field in that sense and construction, which I think is the biggest thing. Well, and that's been so much of where your success has come from is being able to figure out the best way to construct lineups and leverage that against the field. I mean, there's a reason that you won a millionaire maker uh, if trying to figure these things out before the field can catch up. Do you think, and just to talk just pure DraftKings DFS for a second, do you think that there's going to be a shift? Because everyone always talks about every year, oh, it's figured out. It's never figured out, is it? No, it's never figured out. That's why I should. I feel like I shouldn't be like so... <laughs> like fixed in on maybe I have to be underweight on Gabe Davis. Like that could be the wrong take. Um, what I think is interesting is like right now it's kind of like the midpoint where the markets are getting sharper. Like I usually try to draft in the beginning and then at the end for my best ball teams, um, just because like you're the better players able to react to news um, and make changes ahead of the market. So I think that, and even on a DFS late, like that's some of the most important like that window between 1130 and one, when we get that news, people that are able to make that adjustment or in that time frame correctly are usually the ones that perform really well on the slate. So I think it's similar to best balls just projected out longer. Um, and right, like right now is kind of a tough time because it's kind of a dead zone. Like we don't put teams don't kind of hit the field for practice for like another month. So I don't know, just in terms of getting leverage, I, I don't I don't I don't think games are figured out, but I, I think just when you're 150 maxing the majority of the time, I try to figure out what the bad chalk is. Not that I think Gabriel Davis is the bad chalk, but taking an underweight stance I think makes sense at his current uh ownership what I think his current ownership level is gonna be. Bobby Gomes. You can follow him on Twitter at Bobby Gomes DF. This was fun. I love chatting with you, dude. Yeah, it was good. Good time. Nice to be on with you. Thanks for hitting me up to do this. Yeah, of course. When you can talk to successful people doing this, I feel like it's a lot better than having the advice come from me, who you know hasn't won shit in something like this. And you know, talking to you really helps. You're good. Me. You're good. You, <laughs> you yeah. know your stuff. Yeah, but putting that there's a big difference, and it, yeah, you can probably speak to this too. There's a lot of people that know a lot of stuff. They're very sharp when it comes down to, hey, I can make this project projection i can make this prediction and this is going to be right oh this is a good play this is a good fade and i feel like i'm okay with that stuff but actually implementing that into lineups into actual strategy putting it into practice i find exceptionally hard and i think there's a lot of people who find that incredibly difficult no i agree with you uh, but that's the name of the game right like I, I i feel like a lot of people can talk it but you have to be able to play it too right so it's just a matter of putting it all together, I guess.
Yeah, and maybe this will be my year. Probably not, but maybe it'll be my year. For more fantasy football content as we get ready for major draft season, I'll have Sealy and Leone on over the next few weeks. We're doing running back rankings, top 150. Everything like that is coming down the pike soon, but we got to get these teaser episodes out now so we can talk through a lot of these situations. You can hit the full draft kit up on Mayo Media Network and the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Hit the description or the comment section right now, and you can find links to every show about the NFL that has been out so far in 2022. Remember to smash the like button on the way out as well. Thank you all for watching. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.